The podcast of this local government meeting is brought to you by Michigan Radio. For more coverage of local government meetings and to find out how you can support this service, go to michiganradio.org.
morning everyone it's now eight o'clock so we can go ahead and call this committee on appointments to order this is our first meeting of 2023 and I want to start off by welcoming um, our new colleagues my new colleagues on the Commission um, Commissioner Purdue from the third ward and Commissioner Robbins from the first ward so good to see you both and uh, I promise you that Committee on Appointments is the best um, committee of the Commission. <laughs> um, and hopefully you've had a chance to meet everybody else around the table. Um, but if you haven't, actually, let's just do a quick introduction, if that's okay. Good morning, Commissioners. My name is Daniel. I work in the City Clerk's Office. Um, I'll be working with all of you to fill the vacancies or replacements for our boards and commissions, of which we have about 40. Um, uh, certain appointments will be yours individually. Others are made by the commission as a whole via this body, and the lion's share are the mayor's appointments. Thank you, Daniel. Me? <laughs> Good morning, commissioners. My name is Patrick Beatty. I'm one of the assistant city attorneys um, practicing in the municipal division of our office, which is essentially the office that keeps the city running, um, answers questions, um, all that good. Not not alone keep the city <laughs> running. I didn't mean to give that impression. Uh, um, but uh, I, my purpose here is to sit and answer any legal questions that may arise primarily as it relates to Open Speedings Act, Robert's Rule of Order, that type of stuff, when our city clerk can answer those questions. Thank you. Thank you. I'll just do, I'll just do a quick introduction. Joel Hondorp, city clerk. We met on the oath of office day, but in <laughs> various other times as we went through the last year. So um, welcome. Uh, also to be helpful during the day, there is a little card in front of each seat. So you, um, as you move your way through the day, you, you may have different seats um, during the day, except me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, um, so welcome and it's a new year. Thank you. I just think that's helpful sometimes. So colleagues, the first, uh, the first things that we have on our agenda are three resolutions that we will need to take action on. And then probably the lion's share of the meeting will be under the discussion of our current board and vacancy list. And this will be, it's always especially important, but I think for this meeting, all of you as new um, commissioners and our other new colleague, um, Commissioner Knight, have the opportunity again to um, do some advice and consent. That could be on mayoral appointments, but then have our own appointments as well. Um, and so typically the end of the year is very busy for this body because there are a number of appointments that are expiring. And then, of course, the new year, sometimes people decide that they are going to move on to other endeavors, things like that. So let's take the first resolution, which is a resolution confirming Mayor Bliss's appointment of Ruth Stevens to the Grand Rapids Historical Commission. Do I have a motion? Or I'm sorry, <laughs> do I have support? Support. Okay, so it's been supported and then seconded. Um, so this is on the. You mean motion? I'm sorry. Move. It's been moved and supported. <laughs> sorry, it is. Gosh, I need a, a reminder. Um, I haven't done this in a month, so it's been moved and supported, colleagues. Um, 
Daniel, is this a reappointment or is this a new appointment? This is a new appointment. Okay. And um, with this appointment, how many other openings will we have on the Grand Rapids Historical Commission? Um, I believe that will fill the board. Okay, great. So colleagues, what you'll see on number four is what we currently have before any of these actions of the meeting have occurred, so. All right, um, all those in favor? Aye. Okay, it carries, thank you colleagues. Um, the next is a resolution confirming Mayor Bliss's appointment of um, Sunita Lanier to the Local Officers Compensation Committee. Support. It's been moved and supported. Thank you. Um, this body, actually, uh, Mr. Hondorp, do you want to talk about this body for a moment? Sure. Um, in, inside of our um, charter, there's a there, we we have a way of um, setting elected officials' rates by a local officers' compensation commission. Um, so, some charters do it by resolution of the board. Um, it could be there's different ways, but um, state law allows for the creation of a local officers' compensation commission. So. The, um, the people that serve on this commission will set the wages usually for a three-year three-year term for the comptroller, mayor, and the commissioners. Um, they serve um, one seven-year term, and they meet in the odd year. So they'll be meeting in February, March of 2023. They'll come with a recommendation. The commission can just not do anything and, and, do, and with it, um, or the commission can overturn it. Um, and then the wages will stay where where they're at. So th those are there's a couple options, and there'll be reports in in the like as um, as that committee does that work. Um, so we we do have um, our, our last person who came off was from the third ward, so we needed a third ward mm -hmm. replacement. Um, the second ward is a little more heavily um, represented on on that at the current time but as we as we move forward we'll probably look at mm -hmm. trying to balance that back out um former commissioner kelly is also on this um board as well i'll also add um past uh, uh well you're a commissioner forever so commissioner lanier um um has previous experience in the hr field also in um, labor negotiations and i think um not only being a commissioner but will also serve well from other professional experience she has Colleagues, any questions about this resolution in front of us? Does that fill this uh, commission as well? Yes. Okay, thanks. And that meeting, I think you mentioned, will be in March of this year. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, all those in favor? Aye. Okay, it carries. Thank you, colleagues. The last um, agenda item we have today, or a vote that we need to make, is a resolution confirming Mayor Bliss's appointment of Jim Talon to the Monroe North Tax Increment Finance Authority. Do I have a motion? So moved. It's been moved and supported. Thank you, colleagues. Um, uh, Commissioner Talon, who previously served on our county commission, was a previous member of the um, downtown improvement district. And um, just as he's kind of moving out of that previous county commission role, he's moving out of the did role. He is a downtown resident, um, but is going to bring his expertise, we hope, to this Monroe North Tax Increment Finance Authority. Any questions? All right, all those in favor? Aye. Okay, that carries, thank you. So that's all of our business that we have for today. Um, so next, let's go to number four, which is a, excuse me, a discussion of our current vacancies.
Okay. It's <laughs> like really, it's a long, a long page. Um, so, uh, what I typically uh, like to do, and I'm open to any feedback, colleagues, because um, you know I think what worked with one group of people might not work with with others. Um, but I think it's been helpful. We've added some pieces on this agenda item that has all of the openings that we have. It has composition of current members. It has what's open. Um, it does list out who the, who the appointment is with, right? Because again, many of these, a majority of the line, a majority of these appointments are the mayoral appointments. Um, but what we've been doing is, and I think what would be helpful today is to go through each one, talk about what exists, um, and then at the end, um, if there's any thoughts that you all have, typically um, we don't necessarily share names that might be going through the PIF process because there could be something that maybe prevents them from serving in the long run. Perhaps can you, it's... Can you say what PIF is? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Personal information form. That's right. We're going to have to do that today. Um, no, I, that's a really good point. So the personal information form or the PIF is what people complete if they are interested in serving on one of our city boards um, or commission bodies. And it does ask some personal information. There are some things um, that we've cleaned up. There are some things that are required by state law for us to have, is my understanding, um, city clerk, because there are some things that we've asked, could they be removed or not considered? How relevant is this to serving on a city board? Um, it asks things like residency, because, <coughs> excuse me, because many of our boards do have a residency requirement of the city, but also some may also have a requirement of the ward that they serve in. Um, and then we do ask questions about, and you jump in, Patrick, if I miss anything, um, if they have any arrears with our income tax department, property taxes, uh, we look at parking tickets, um, any other uh, code compliance things that they might have that is in arrears. So if there's any debt that's owed to the city, as well as, um, do we also look at like the state income tax and those sorts of things, or is it just all city arrearages? It's my understanding that uh, the city charter says that you cannot participate in boards, commissions, mm -hmm. if you are in arrears to the city. Yeah, I, no. I don't think we speak to anything okay. else. Um, so it is, um, some might feel it's, it's invasive, um, but there are a number of things that we need to confirm and a number of questions that we ask. Really, if um, any of our constituents are filling out the PIF, it's in their best inference interests to provide as much information as they can. So many um, include a resume. That's not a requirement because everybody might not have one. But typically people include somebody who might have referred them or maybe they talked to you at an event. Um, maybe they had previously served, they moved away and they've come back. Um, so once we get those PIFs in, um, Daniel will share with this body um, I think we said like on a bi-weekly basis, right? Um, the PIFs that are open, or the PIFs that we receive for any openings that we have. Because of course we might get PIFs for other bodies where there might not be an opening. Um, we keep that PIF on file for one year. Um, and many times people do apply not just for one body, but for multiple bodies. Um, I'm sure Daniel's seen somebody who's applied for all of the bodies <laughs> um, and wanting to serve. Um, and sometimes it's really truly a timing perspective. Um, sometimes it, I remember in the past there was something I wanted to serve on. Three months had gone by. There was then an opening. I was in a new role. It really wasn't going to, I wasn't going to be able to serve in that way anymore. So I had to decline. Um, but every meeting will go through these. 
then subsequently on those biweekly times, Daniel will share any openings we have. So we may discuss, the mayor may, uh, I may also review that with the mayor, and then we'll get an idea of what will be on our agenda moving forward. Um, any questions at that point, at this point, colleagues, or anything, uh, city colleagues, staff colleagues that I'm forgetting? Okay. It's the first day of school and we've made some tweaks and um, my mom wrote me today and said, good luck today. It was so nice. Um, but there is a number of things um, and I myself have been on this body since I started. This is my fourth year of commission and I think everyone on this um, on the staff side really want to make sure that people who want to serve feel like we're getting back with them. It is hard to have individual communication with everybody that does apply because there might not be an opening. Um, but certainly could cross-reference this meeting and people are aware of what is available, okay? All right, so let's go through each body. Um, some of the bodies are what I would consider to be more subject matter roles, so they could be something related to a specific uh, function or utility aspect of our city government. So a lot of those are appoint appointments of city staffers because it's just more technical in nature. So I'll probably gloss over those a bit, um, but please know that they are just as important. It's just those come to us a little less frequently because they meet a little less frequently in many cases. So uh, the first one is our city planning commission. All of our bodies are important. And also we know that a number of business needs to go through our planning commission. Um, oftentimes we'll see our, our planning director, Ms. Turkelson, attend these meetings. Um, we do have an opening. Is this still an opening? Because we just appointed somebody at the um, meeting at the meeting last year, we appointed Mr. Aaron Yonker. So I don't remember if this has now been updated to reference his appointment. It has. Okay, so this is still so this is still an opening that we have. Correct. <coughs> okay. So I will need to follow up with Ms. Turkelson and the mayor on this one. I can't remember. Was this due to Ms. Beeler's resignation or I would have to confirm. Okay. Again, all of them are important, but we certainly want to make sure that this body is able to attend as a number of businesses and other individuals are uh, uh, looking for that. The next body is our Civil Service Board. Um, this is a board that I also serve on. It's essentially the HR Oversight Board. It is in our charter. Um, we do have one opening that is remaining, and... We probably should be looking for either a first warder or a second warder for this body, um, just because we have two third warders. Um, I think we've gotten some piffs, and actually I think Ms. Cottle, you and I talked a little bit before the end of the year, um, but the end of the year seems like a long time ago. <laughs> so we'll need to pick that back up. Um, but this is an important body as well, and um, if you want to learn more about it, let me know. All right, okay, I'm just being mindful of the time here. Uh, the next is our Construction Code Board of Appeals. At this point, I don't have any updates. Again, this is one that's a little bit more technical in nature, so um, if you have more questions about that, please let us know. I have a question. Absolutely. So for those boards that are more technical in nature, mm -hmm. are, is someone's experience in that area considered, or is it still kind of a broad <coughs> application qualification process? Yeah, this one is a city manager appointment, so I definitely know in this case that someone with that experience in construction, understanding of codes, uh, general contracting, 
Um, some of these bodies are also a, a, a staff member who also serves. So sometimes it's um, swapping out a staff member who might have been in one role and then somebody else coming in. Um, but would, would certainly look at any PIFs that were um, an application to that body. Could I ask a question as well? Sure. Um, on this list, you mentioned that most are appointed by Mayor Bliss and the mm -hmm. rest are from a different mix. How do we know which ones are able to be appointed by who? Yeah. So um, we added that, I think, in the last couple of years. So if you look under the Civil Service Board, um, it'll say five members. It does have a residency requirement. Um, um, and also it's a city commission appointment. So... Uh, we like to have a balance of the wards. So in this case, like yourself or Commissioner O'Connor could move forth. Um, somebody, like say if we got a PIF and you both could say, yeah, this makes sense. And um, that's sort of the pre-step. Then it comes to us as like the next step. And then the final step is the entire commission approving. Um, Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And to be clear, it's not always clear. So that's a good question <laughs> because it's like it's a city commission appointment. It's a mayoral appointment. Sometimes there's things at the county that are the advice of consent, but technically we don't have a vote. So um, and then there are some times where there might be a body where each one of us gets a vote. There could be times where each ward gets a vote. So then obviously we'd want to work together. Right, yeah. I'll, add, I'll add one more little, another. I'll add another layer to the onion here. Um, also on our on the city's website under boards and commissions there's a, it breaks out each of these boards and commissions it says who the current members is, are and also um, I believe Daniel it says there um, what the legislative background on it is so what the hit so where, where the law that says who the members are and who appoints. So there's more information. And if, if you want more information, just reach out to us too, and mm -hmm. we can um, give you the um, the rest of the story behind some of the, some of the appointment and, processes. Yeah, that's a good point. Thank you, uh, City Clerk. We could also take this meeting and make it, this is a general action item, but we could review, uh, for example, all of our tax increment finance bodies, our CIAs. There are different uh, uh, requirements about where businesses are located, where uh, residents, where re like I think on our CIAs, you can have like one resident member, um, those sorts of things. So I don't want to say it's not clear. It's clear because it's written in whatever <laughs> the... the um, the governing language of that body is, but it that's a very hard thing to put on like an agenda item like this. So we have some general language. Would that be fair, staff colleagues? Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> You're like, sure. <laughs> um, there's no election this year, so we're going to spend all our time on this. Um, so... Um, so we're happy to do that. We could either review them, you know, individually, but some of them are obviously governed by charter. Some are bodies that we put together administratively, with, and some are um, different um, different bodies that we're able to create as a city of our size um, in the state of Michigan. Madam um, Chair, yes. So I really love the this oversight this overview is really helpful to have the details for each commission as well as the demographic makeup by race ethnicity and geographical location i will be i will wonder if um if there's an aggregate for that demographic information mm -hmm. available so we can see it by each board but i'll be curious to see kind of as a whole for the 40 boards and commissions that we have sure. how we're mirroring kind of what the city is, is yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
that information <laughs> is available. I would just have to compile it, um, and then I can get that to you this week. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. That's a good question, and thank you, Daniel. All right, so we have about 10 minutes or so. I'd like to have a little bit of time in between, and please know this will not be the only time that we talk about this, but... Um, I tried to come to this meeting as all the things that I wish I would have known when I was in your seats. And I think staff and my colleagues were always available. It's just drinking from a fire hose. So, um, so the did, um, I think those uh, remaining um, openings are those that are being reappointed. They're just going through the vetting process. Um, please note that um, also in that uh, biweekly report that Daniel would give us, it does take time to vet people through the appropriate departments of our city government because um, it can involve looking at a number of entities within inside the city, but then people are always informed of why they may not be able to be considered if they have arrearages. Um, what I will say is that there are often times where people would have told me or their colleagues that they're not aware, maybe they haven't gotten that information, um, and so we're going to come up with a kind of to continue to evaluate that system because technically what we want to say is that they've been fully vetted is just have they resolved the the, the non-compliance because I want to be fair to the city offices that are doing the work that they've completed their activity. It's just has the individual essentially um, have paid in full those arrearages, right? So there, that's also some language that you'll hear us use and we want to clarify that as well. Um, if we want to keep on scrolling, we don't need to talk about those next two. We just talked about the Historical Commission. Um, and then the next is our Civilian Appeals Board. I do think um, I wanted to talk about this one a moment because I think there are a couple of people that are coming off maybe after this meeting, Daniel, in January, um, if I remember correctly from Mr. Davis. So, so Commissioner O'Connor does have one opening right now, um, but I think actually all of us, all the wards may have an opening. Correct. This was one of the boards, and to the new commissioners, I apologize. Their bylaws state that a member can serve until their replacement is appointed, so they weren't technically considered vacancies, which is why they weren't on this list, but we can work individually together to um, fill in those spots if a member currently serving is someone you would like to remain or if you have a member that you would like to appoint as well. Mm -hmm. And in this case, this also does say various appointments because there's a mayoral appointment, there's city commission appointments. Um, but this one, I think, Daniel, if we can follow up with all of the PIFs that we have now that our, our commissioners are sitting that we have for this, um, obviously, you can also recruit individuals and or encourage them to apply. You know, the thing is, again, we can never confirm that somebody will be appointed because, of course, we have to vote at our either 2 o'clock or 7 o'clock meeting for it to be full, but we can certainly encourage people, talk to them about what it would be. Um, you know, this is a body that I served on, one of my initial boards, and sometimes it took a lot of time and sometimes the meeting got canceled. It just kind of depended. Um, but if you could share those PIFs with um, with um, Commissioner Purdue and Commissioner Robbins, that would be that'd be great. And I think that would be another priority one. I know Mr. Davis would appreciate that. Um, we can scroll through these others. Typically, the Housing Appeals Board is one that has a number of openings. We only have one opening right now, so that's great. Um, so we'll look at the PIFs for that. 
And then the others are some of our corridor improvement authorities. Um, additionally, we do have a public safety um, committee um, that meets on our commission days at the end of the, the last meeting of the year. These are one-year appointments. Again, these are uh, various. Um, there is no residency requirement, but I would say if we're talking about public safety, typically, you know, I don't know, no offense, city clerk, if it would be helpful to have somebody, all people who didn't live in Grand Rapids and lived in um, Byron Center. Yeah. <laughs> the, 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 the one thing with with public safety you're on i'm on okay um is each commissioner does get an, get an appointment yes um so this might be one to mm -hmm. work um post haste to um get yes. your person on so because they meet the the second um the second meeting of the month of the month mm -hmm. the, um it'll be twelve thirty in the afternoon um the citizen members are members of discussion, but not a voting member. There's not a lot of voting issues that come to public safety, but they they are a voting subcommittee. But it would be the commissioners that only do the voting. Mm -hmm. So it's a it's it's a kind of a different hybrid um, meeting, and it hasn't been in this kind of format for very many years. Yes. Um, so we're still we're still uh, it's still a work in process. This was many years ago prior to me being on the, well, I shouldn't say many years ago, uh, previous to our current city manager was, was called the 12-point plan to address some of the uh, structural um, structural deficiencies or opportunities as well as more uh, community engagement as it relates to public safety. But I would also say this would be the biggest priority. So if there's individuals that perhaps you've talked to, you might know that they've applied for a PIF, and um, we can send you what we have right now. So I would also agree with city clerk that this would be a priority. So um, the rest of the ones are not ones that we, I would say, are not a uh, hot, commodity at, <laughs> hot commodity at this time to go through, um, but we'll prioritize our planning commission, our uh, civilian appeals board, and our public safety body. Colleagues, do you have any other questions before we close out our, um, ag our agenda item for today? Thank you for the onboarding. Yeah. Likewise. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, we'll continue, and like I said, as... Um, uh, probably in the next meeting, we could talk about some of our corridor improvement authorities, because I think almost all of us probably do have that. You all probably, after this month, will be able to attend your first CIA meetings for the districts that you're representing. Um, but I think those are also important bodies as well. All right. It is 826, so we can go ahead and adjourn this uh, Committee on Appointments meeting. Thank you.
All right, good morning, everyone. We will call the first uh, fiscal committee for 2023 to order here at 8.30. Welcome. Uh, first item on our agenda this morning is a resolution authorizing a budget substitution of $334,863 for the LaGrave Fire Station structural repairs. So moved. Moved and supported. Mr. Bergman, our city engineer. Good morning, sir. All right, good morning, commissioners. Happy New Year. Um, in November of 2021, uh, staff noticed some deterioration of a, a concrete encased beam that supported a corner of the LaGrave fire station and immediate action was taken at that time to shore up the beam while a permanent solution was designed and bid and subsequently awarded. Um, so that project was awarded to McGraw Construction on June 21st of 2022 with a total uh, project cost not to exceed $449,330. So what's before you today is uh, requesting an approval of a budget substitution between capital improvement fund project accounts to move the uh, necessary funding of $334,863 um, into place to make that funding whole. Very good. Colleagues, any questions for Mr. Berkman? I just have one question, Mr. Chair. Um, what's the timeline of the, of the work being completed? So fortunately, a majority of the work is already complete. Since the project was awarded last summer, they've, they've gotten through a lot of it. Now we're just at the punch list stage of, of completing the, the loose ends. Okay, thanks for yep. confirming that. Very good. Any additional questions? All right, hearing none, those in favor? Aye. Oh, same sign. Motion carries. Thank, Thank you, you, sir. Item two is our bid list resolution for January 10, 2023. Can I get a motion? So moved. Moved and supported. Uh, colleagues, I hope you've all had an opportunity to read through the bid list. I'll turn to our CFO, Ms. Claren. Any items you'd like to point out? I know the electric golf carts are on here. I know that's a... Yeah, yeah we're actually very excited about that, uh, transitioning that small fleet over. But, uh, you know, part of our overall, overall plan to go to, you know, alternative energy. So seven items total today. Uh, if there are any questions, myself or department directors are here to answer. Very good. Colleagues, questions? Mr. Chair, um, since we have a new colleague on this body, can we review? This was a change that we made to, to kind of the review of the bid list. It's not that we're not going through it, but I think we we found ourselves reviewing like 36 items or sure. 20. Can you just share some of that practice for our uh, new colleague? Sure. Um, for, you know, there's been different iterations of how to present the bid list. Um, you know, it used to be just something that was adopted and then um, under, you know, <clears throat> previous previous fiscal committees, um, we've actually read it. You know the whole thing. It can be upwards of you know, like a, we were we were seeing um, you know twenty to thirty items sometimes, and um, it's it's a lot of them are routine in nature. A lot of them are budgeted for. Um, so we found it to be better practice to present the bid list, um, understanding everyone's read it, and if there are questions. Um, I'm here as well as our purchasing agents usually around and you know of course we have all these great department managers in the in the audience that can also answer questions so <clears throat> thank you yeah and with each agenda item every item has a description uh, of the of the bid as well as uh, there's a bid tabulation sheet for items with multiple bids so you can review each of those prior to the meeting and if it's an item we've had before we usually include some sort of history if we've um, if this is for instance if it's a three-year contract with one-year renewal it'll come back up on the bid list so we'll explain that history of we adopted it under this proceeding number and here's here's why it might have been renegotiated like with the dew point contract we've layered on additional services so that's why that like 
the dew point contract is on for number one, where we've we've dug in on some of more project work, so we've had to um, <coughs> redo that contract and um, up the not to exceeds. So very good. Thank you. All right. Any additional questions? All right. Hearing none. Those in favor? Aye. Opposed? Same sign. Motion carries. Thank you. Item three: Warrant report, November 30, 2022, through December 27, 2022, and fund travel reports for November 2022. Mr. Comptroller, good morning, sir. Good morning, commissioners. Um, so basically, this warrant report here um, is a summary of all the funds that the city paid out uh, during this period of time. Um, so for the period reference there, uh, we released cash payments totaling $39.3 million, uh, which includes uh, $10.7 million for our employee payroll expense uh, and approximately $243,000 uh, for income tax warrants during that time. Uh, in terms of quantity, uh, that equated to 187 uh, income tax refunds being issued uh, and 2,077 uh, checks and electronic payments uh, being issued. And uh, the following pages um, in the tables, as you can see, there's a great deal of detail, but this provides um, all the information regarding those payments, uh, the department that incurred the expenditure, uh, the vendor organization that received the fund, um, and then a description of the services uh, that were provided. Uh, next also we have here our uh, November fiscal year to date uh, monthly funds report. Um, so this is just um, kind of a high level uh, summary of some of the uh, financial activity year-to-date and some of the governmental um, and uh, enterprise funds that account for the majority of uh, city revenues uh, and expenditures. Um, you know, normally uh, the budget um, and the annual comprehensive financial report, which we'll be presenting uh, later this morning, are kind of big annual touch points that get a lot of visibility around uh, city finances. Uh, so this report um, provides some kind of interim uh, visibility uh, into city finances throughout the year uh, and is available uh, on the Comptroller Department website. Uh, lastly, uh, this morning we have our November fiscal year-to-date uh, travel report, um, which details um, travel, um, food and beverage, professional development, and uh, training expenses by department. Um, so for the first uh, five months of the fiscal year, we're showing uh, $641,000 spent, um, which is uh, just about 27% of the overall budget for the year of $2.4 million. And that concludes uh, the reports that I have this morning. Very good, sir. Colleagues, any questions for the comptroller? All right, hearing none. That report will be received and filed. And our final item on the agenda this morning is the Treasurer's Report for the period December 1, 2022 through December 27, 2022. Good morning, Mr. Treasurer. Good morning, Commissioners. Um, we're going to keep it really light today. So with our report, um, uh, Commissioner Purdue, um, this will probably be your fastest meeting, just to you know break you in. Mm -hmm. But with our report, what we tend to do with the with the Treasurer's Report is is give you an outlook of where we are with the economy, where what challenges we're faced, is what we're looking at in terms of um, things that drive interest rates, because that's a lot of our work. That's with the bank accounts that we use. That's the investments that we purchase for our reserve funds, and kind of hopefully gives you some kind of a direction as to what we're seeing in the next 12, 18, 24 months. Um, we are approaching budget season, so as departments are working on their budgets right now, um, we have to not only look at our budget from our budget perspective, but what are we looking at for the challenges coming up in our next fiscal year? 
And so that helps prepare you for that conversation. So with that, right now we're looking at a federal funds rate of 4.25 to 4.5%. We do believe that with the current economic state and chances of a recession toward the end of next year, um, we're not seeing the market change fast enough that we're anticipating there's gonna be further raising of that interest rate. And so right now, um, most market participants are predicting a five to 5.25% um, peak level of that. So there's still some room to, for that to continue to go up. But again, um, for what we're seeing with the different things in the economy, there has been some improvement, but really it's, it's marginal. We're only seeing anywhere from 0.1 to 0.5% improvement <coughs> in some of the major indicators. And so that, that really isn't shifting fast. So when we think of the, the global economy, that has impact on us. But when we talk about even our own economy, it's, it's being the largest producer in the, in the world and the, the driver of many things, it is the Titanic. And so there are a lot of things that lag behind in this thing. We might see the improvement, but we might not see overall improvement ourselves and inflation coming down until months into the future. So with that, we try to prepare uh, the commission to think of not only the local economy, which has been really resilient and striving, to the fact that the national economy still is struggling, and we're seeing it now in uh, decreased home sales, we're seeing it in higher mortgage rates, so and we're seeing it at, at our grocery store, right? We we see it every time we go to the pump. We see it every time we go in and and find out that our ground beef is now $4.99 a pound, and you rarely find it on sale less than $3 a pound. And Commissioner Sassi can, can tell you how lovely chicken wings were in a conversation. I, we try to find different things that are impacting us as consumers, but also from a local, state, and federal, as well as a global, because those global issues like the war in Ukraine is definitely impacting a lot of things and we still because there's no resolution we still think that's going to have a ripple effect throughout the global economy um, we're seeing it in terms of it's a cold it's the coldest months of the winter haven't come yet we haven't gotten there yet and so how's that going to impact europe how is that going to impact the wheat being shipped out of ukraine that that goes to so many countries that need it are we going to um, miss famine are we going to be able to to get those resources to the people that need it. Um, we're an exporter of a large number of products, but it can't make up for the breadbasket of Asia, Euro-Asia, which is Ukraine. So those are the types of things that we try to point out that are challenges that we face that ripple down and that, that actually trickle down into our own economy. And we, we see it in our own prices of what things are. You hear of the avian flu, which has killed off half of the chicken population. So why are your eggs double? Why are these things going up in price? Why are your chicken prices high? And those are definitely those things that, that we know our, our constituents, our residents feel every time they go to the store. Um, with that though, we do try to provide some bright in our reports, even though right now it's kind of a bleak period. Um, we have been able to take our investments, which is $534 million, and they're now invested at an average of 2.27%, which is a full percentage point higher than it was 12 months ago. So as those interest rates go up, we can reinvest our monies into a higher rate and earn higher rates for, for the, the city. 
Um, you'll notice on there also there's a couple of bond items. The last three items are bond issues, or, or last five items are bond issues. We work with departments to understand their spending because when we get the bond monies, it's not that we're paying that money out right away. We have to build the projects. But what we do is we look to invest those monies to earn extra funds for those bond issues so that the departments have the money when they need it to spend. So when um, city engineer Tim Berkman comes up and he's got all these projects coming forward, we're preparing to spend the money, have that money ready for him as that project continues to progress. But we're also earning interest on it right now so that there's going to be extra funds based on that interest that helps pay for maybe some other side projects they have or help mitigate any type of contingent fee. So this is how our department works with all of the other departments in terms of having the funds when they need it, but also managing them to the point where we're earning as much as we can for them in the meantime. So with that, that is my treasurer's report for today. Very good, sir. Colleagues, any questions for the treasurer? Uh, all right, hearing none, uh, that report will be received and filed, and we will commence this fiscal committee meeting at 843. Thank you, everyone.
first of all, say Happy New Year to each and every one of you. Uh, it is a new position for me to chair this position. Uh, so I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure I do it correctly and rightly. Secondly, I'd like to bounce off of uh, Commissioner Yasasi this morning where she did something I thought was very unique. She took the opportunity, since we have two new commissioners on the commission this year, uh, Commissioners Knight and Commissioners Drew, I'd like to take the opportunity for each and every one of you. I'm bouncing off of Yasasi because I thought this was very good and Joe brought it to my attention and he said do it. <laughs> For each of you to just kind of introduce yourself to them and explain to them briefly what your position is. And I'd like to start down on the end here. Uh, good morning, Commissioners. James Hurt. I'm the Managing Director for the Public Services Group. So I oversee the, uh, the Public Works Department, the Water Department, and the Environmental Services Department. Good morning, Commissioners. Uh, Jeremiah Grasset, Director of Economic Development. So all responsible for business retention, recruitment, uh, and traction. Morning, I'm Kate Barron's deputy city manager. So uh, I support the city manager in, in kind of the bridge between the policy and community objectives and our, our city operations. Good morning, commissioners. Uh, my name is Patrick Beatty. I'm an assistant city attorney and I work in the municipal affairs division of our office and we essentially um, assist in keeping the city running smoothly. Uh, uh, yep, thank you. I'm Joel Hondorp, the city clerk. Um, glad to be here to assist. I, uh, our office uh, does the minutes. Um, our deputy clerk um, is keeping track of the minutes as we speak, and I'm here to help the chair of all the committee, the chairs of the committees, and the and, and the mayor as we um, do Robert's rules and assist with the attorney's office um, for keeping meetings running smoothly. Good morning, commissioners. I am Tim Berkman. I'm the city engineer for Grand Rapids, and the engineering department helps to deliver the capital program for the city. So we work with a lot of our partnering departments on delivering projects, handling uh, in-house design, but also managing a number of consultants that help deliver projects for us um, from um, inception to completion. And, uh, and then we also deal a lot with uh, permitting within city rights-of-ways and also work with private development that's impacting city rights-of-ways in terms of infrastructure that we will be accepting. Good morning, Commissioners. I'm Kristen Turkelson. I'm the Planning Director for the City of Grand Rapids. Uh, I oversee the Long Range and Short Range Planning Division, as well as Building Inspection Services. So, a lot of the private, all of the private development projects, as well as the Community Master Plan, are being uh, completed out of uh, our office. Good morning, Commissioners. Uh, I'm Josh Nermore, and I'm the Director of Mobile GR for the City. Um, and Mobile GR is sort of a lot of random mobility and transportation services, including on and off street parking, parking enforcement, but also uh, things like traffic signals, signs, traffic engineering in the roadway, and work very, very closely with the engineering department on delivering those operational services as well as public works. And with that, Commissioners, I am your third word commissioner, Nathaniel Moody. Looking forward to working with both of you as my colleagues. With that, uh, let's begin with our, our first uh, resolution, resolution approving an encroachment agreement at 621-627 Fulton Street West. Can I get a motion? So moved. Support. Support. Mr. Berkman. 
All right. Good morning again, commissioners. So this uh, relates to a four-story uh, condominium building that's under construction at the northwest corner of Fulton and Lexington. Uh, the condo association is seeking approval of an encroachment agreement uh, that would permit the installation of a snowmelt system within the public sidewalk along its frontages. So um, when we have situations like this where there's going to be a permanent installation in the right-of-way, the encroachment agreement is basically what spells out the terms and conditions um, that the city agrees to with the, uh, with the applicant. So the location of the snowmelt system, again, which is going to be underneath the sidewalks along those frontages, has been reviewed by the affected city departments. It will not interfere with our city utilities or other private utilities. Um, so we're recommending uh, and requesting your approval of this agreement. Any questions, colleagues? All in favor? Bye. Aye. Aye. So moved. Next on a resolution is a resolution awarding a contract with Ostranders Window Siding and Roofing Company, Inc., for roof replacement at Garfield Park Gymnasium in the amount of $290,700, with a total not to exceed $374,750. So moved. Support it. Support. Okay. Okay, Mr. Bergman again. Sure. So this uh, project will replace the 7,750 square foot roof system on the Garfield Park Gymnasium. That existing roof is in very poor condition uh, and needs to be completely removed and replaced. Uh, it's over 30 years old. Uh, there's some anticipated structural deck repairs that are um, needed based on how saturated the existing roof insulation appears uh, when the inspections were done. So we uh, put the project out for bid, received three bids on December 13th, and Ostrander submitted that low bid amount that was read of $290,700, uh, which was under the engineer's estimate of $352,000. So asking for your approval of this award with the authorization of total project costs not to exceed $374,500, and that financing will come from the Parks Millage Fund. Colleagues. I just had a question. Please. Um, <clears throat> if the engineer's estimate was 352, right? Mm -hmm. Why did they Commissioner put- talking to your mic so everybody can hear you. Sorry. Um, if the engineer's um, bid was, or estimate was 352,000, um, why is the amount set at 374 for total expenditures? Yeah, so there's a, uh, further down in the memo, there is a, uh, what we call a sources and uses table. And so the construction contract is what the, uh, basically that's the bid amount, that $290,700, that's what we compare to the engineer's estimate. But then we add on the um, additional expenses of the design work that was required, the inspection work that'll be required, our department's administration costs as well as contingencies. And so when you add those to that bid amount, that's what comprises the not to exceed um, total. So when we bring bid award items, we'll, we'll um, almost always have that the award amount is what the contract is being awarded for, but then the not to exceed amount gives us the authorization to cover those other um, additional expenditures. And so in along with that, Mr. Bergman, you're, you're tearing out the entire roof and replacing the entire roof correct that's a seven thousand seven hundred square foot building correct correct okay yes 
at first I was kind of concerned about it until I started reading uh, completely what the, the construction of redoing that roof would be. Yes. Because um, I thought that price was a little high. But then when you think about how old that building is and the prices that are up in today's society, you can understand that it's going to be expensive. And it's within the range of other similar projects that we're um, that we've looked at or are estimating. For instance, the the public museum has one um, that they're anticipating, and it's it's right within the estimated range for that project as well. All in favor? Aye. 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 Let's have it. Uh, resolution number three: Resolution approving a construction agreement in the amount of thirty thousand and accepting a warranty deed for the loft on Grove. So moved. Support. So I mentioned in my introduction that we do work with private development, and this is one of those instances. So the Lofson Grove is located at 1359 Plainfield Avenue, involves a development of a four-story apartment building that contains 110 units with some uh, ground floor retail space. Um, so we're bringing before you this construction agreement that covers um, construction of improvements that will become public, that we will be accepting. And that includes storm sewer uh, with the widening of Grove Place, um, so the street along the frontage, uh, the installation of street lighting, all of which will serve the development. So the agreement that's before you is our standard agreement, again, spelling out terms and conditions and stipulates things like the construction will be in accordance with our city standards, also offers the uh, avenue by which we'll recoup our costs, which was set at that $30,000 deposit threshold that they'll be submitting. Um, and then the resolution also accepts a warranty deed and dedicates uh, the property as public right-of-way. That's to allow for the widening of the street that will take place. So asking for your uh, approval of this resolution. Any questions, colleagues? All in favor? Aye. 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 Next resolution is a resolution approving uh, Consent to agreement of contract to R.K. Davis, Inc. for Franklin Pump Station Improvement. Mr. Bergman, you got that one? Oh, motion. Go ahead. Support. So moved. So moved. We might as well just keep on going. Let Mr. Bergman just keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so this uh, pump station, it's a water pump station. It's located at the uh, near the intersection of Martin Luther King Jr. Street and Fuller. Uh, the project was originally awarded uh, back in April of 2022 and includes replacement of the existing pumps, uh, new on-site standby generator, some structural improvements to the facility um, and other uh, various building improvements. The pumping station serves uh, areas of the East High Pressure District, which uh, is also East Grand Rapids and the East Paris uh, Service Center Reservoir and Pump Station. Um, the work is already underway with an anticipated completion of October of this year. Um, so what is before you today uh, is uh, related to the project um, was originally awarded to D Davis Construction and that company, the Grand Rapids Division of Davis, is in the process of separating uh, from Davis Construction to become a new company um, called RK Davis Incorporated. The new company will be um, owned by the founder of Davis and will continue to have the same project team working on and leading the project. So we, there will be no interruption in terms of delivery of the project. Um, what we're asking for is your approval of a consent to assign the agreement to this new entity, R.K. Davis. Colleagues, any questions? All in favor? Aye. 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 Next is a resolution awarding a contract with Camagas, and forgive me if I pronounce this name wrong, Rudvolt, Inc., 
for replacement of Kingsbury lift station in the amount of $1,926,262 with the total amount not to exceed $2,538,400. So moved. Support. All right, so the Kingsbury lift station is located in Walker, uh, generally east of Alpine Avenue and north of 96. Um, the existing lift station that's in place was built in the 1970s and um, is nearing its end of life. Um, there's also some anticipated additional um, development in the area that's requiring added capacity to this lift station uh, to serve the sanitary sewer network in that area. So we put the uh, project, um, uh, designed the project, put it out for bid, and KNR submitted that bid of $1,926,262 on December 13th. Um, that was over our engineer's estimate of $1,631,531. Uh, we've reviewed the bids uh, with our consultant, Progressive, who designed the project and are recommending um, the award um, still to KNR with that total project cost not to exceed amount of $2,538,400. And financing will come from the sewer system fund with construction expected this summer. Colleagues, any questions? Where is the where the three hundred thousand discrepancy come in? Yeah, so there were um, four bidders that were originally interested in the project and came to the uh, pre bid meeting and asked a number of questions. Um, for one reason or another, only one bidder submitted, um, and that could be because the others uh, were too busy. Um, but that uh, that bid was reviewed, and unfortunately, in, in current conditions um, with market pricing, supply chain issues, we are seeing a lot of um, increased prices. Now, in the case of the roof bid, that was under, but in this case, of course, we're over. And so the uh, we reviewed this with our team, and um, you know, at times we have the option of going back out for bid. And in this case, we're, we're quite confident that doing something like that would not yield lower prices, but um, in fact, probably the opposite. And so that's why um, we've uh, studied it closely. And again, the engineer's estimate is, is, is an estimate. It's our best take on what we think um, pricing will come in at. But there's a lot of variability in the market these days. And that's um, sometimes difficult to, uh, to put a fine, a fine note on. Can you... Um explain to me they're not using any micro local business enterprises but they're going to be sub subcontracting the 279 and it said reference to equal business opportunity w what is that yeah so the um the city has a bid discount program that's administered through the office of equity and engagement and as part of that you you'll see mlbe references on all of our bid items as far as whether there's participation or not and under that program if and there's certain calculations and percentages that go into it but uh, bidders can receive up to a five percent or hundred thousand dollar maximum bid discount which is essentially lowers their bid for comparison's sake um, but we still um, you know pay the the full bid price um, it's not a it's not a requirement but it's an incentive program so sometimes oftentimes we we will see that participation and we certainly encourage it and look for um, contractors to be registered as MLBEs um, but sometimes those um, those contractors in particular may be too busy to um, to provide a quote um, um, or um, there may not be interest in that particular area of, of work, but we still require that um, contractors show 
who they will be subcontracting with and what that amount is um, from the standpoint of we want to make sure that all subs that are working on the project, subcontractors, are um, um, registered with us and that they're uh, um, licensed to do the work. So that's why you'll see it broken down separately of if there's a percentage of MLBE, but then also what the subcontracted amount will be. I was trying to find out or see who they were contracting with, subcontracting with, and I didn't see it. That's why I was looking. Yeah, we have that information, of course, but... Uh, um, Because that's two hundred seventy nine thousand that they're subcontracting with, but I'm not seeing it on here. Yeah, and I'm happy to get that information for you and share it. I don't, I don't have that readily accessible. Yeah, you can get with her later when talking about that. Yeah, if you if you'd like, I can follow up with an email and let you know who's who the subcontractors will be on that project. Sure. Thank you. So, what then? Are we all in favor of taking a vote? What is your vote? Aye. 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 Ayes have it. Last one, resolution approving a release, easement, and vacated Vanderveen Court for $1. So moved. Support. So Vanderveen Court um, used to exist west of Eastern Avenue. Uh, it was a street that was vacated back in 2017, and it's where the 501 Eastern Apartments now exist. That's roughly a block south of Wealthy Street. Um, the city's consent resolution to the vacation and the court judgment um, that vacated the street as well as the amended plat all preserved an easement um, to the city for utilities, and that's very common with street vacations. The um, public utilities in Vanderveen Court, however, were abandoned when the um, Eastern Apartments project um, took place, and so only private utilities remain. Uh, and so that means we have no reason to hold that public utilities easement. And so this uh, resolution before you provides for the approval to go ahead and release that easement to the property owner. And uh, then they will be responsible if there's any remaining private utilities to handle that accordingly. Any questions, colleagues? All in favor? Aye. 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 It's happened. And it's approximately 933, which is a very good number. This meeting is adjourned.
morning, everyone, and welcome to our Committee of the Whole, our first one of this beautiful new year. Uh, so welcome. We have a number of people to welcome around this table, so I do want to take this opportunity to welcome our new colleagues around this table. Uh, you can see some new faces up here, but if you're not familiar with everyone, I hope you get a chance to get to know them uh, and welcome them to City Hall. Uh, on this end, we have Commissioner Knight, our new Second Ward City Commissioner, uh, next to Commissioner Drew Robbins from First Ward, our Senior Commissioner, Commissioner Nate Moody. Uh, not new, but also want to just acknowledge him and say Happy New Year. Uh, obviously, you know already Commissioner O'Connor and Commissioner Isasi, and then our new commissioner from the second or third ward, I almost said second, third ward, uh, Kelsey Purdue. So welcome, welcome. So you'll learn this about our city manager. It started when he became city manager. Uh, he has a practice of starting off the new year on a healthy note. Uh, so uh, there have been moments in the past he's made us stand up and dance or stretch or do fun things to start the year off. Uh, and so I'm going to give him that opportunity again to kick us off for this 2023 on a healthy, happy note. So uh, I'll turn it to him and then commissioners will get to our two action items today. Uh, and then we have two important briefings. We'll go right into that. We do have an executive session uh, that we'll go into right after COW. I'll call for a question to go into executive session uh, right after COW. Uh, those of you who serve with me on economic development project team will be back in here together at 1230 and then back together for our city commission meeting at 2 p.m. this afternoon. Uh, that's the lineup for the day. And so to get us ready for a successful day, I'll turn it to our city manager. Thank you, Mayor, and Happy New Year's to you and uh, the commissioners and everybody on the dais. Uh, this year, uh, in order to begin the year, we want to start on the right note. And as you said, in years past, we've done a variety of things, even during the pandemic. And this year, we're going to take the fire department up on their challenge, and we're going to do the healthy stair climb challenge this morning and run the stairs. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> We're going to participate in the exercise of mindfulness. And our wellness uh, coordinator, Jessica Welch, who's doing an outstanding job and has really uh, helped us to promote wellness throughout our organization. As a matter of fact, I looked back at the data, and we have almost doubled our employee participation, going from 27% employees participating in our wellness program to over 50%. And we're still trying to improve and increase that. And certainly, uh, we want to be examples to the workforce. And with that, I'm going to ask Ms. Welch to help lead us and everybody in the chambers through a mindfulness exercise. Sorry, um, I am not the dancing wellness person. <laughs> it's not my vibe. But <laughs> um, so I'm going to lead you briefly through um, a breathing exercise. And thank you for having me um, and kicking off your year this this year this way. Um, this is one of my favorite hacks. It's something that I use with my one-on-one -on -one clients all the time. Um, and you don't need to move at all. All you need to, and you all are welcome to participate as well. Um, all you're going to need to do is close your eyes. We're going to take three deep breaths together. That's three box breaths. If you don't know what that is, it's a four second inhale, four second hold, four second exhale, four second hold. So we'll do that three times. And then when you open your eyes, you're going to silently identify three physical things in front of you. 
silently. We don't want to all be yelling chair, okay? Um, now the reason this is effective is when we are stressed, when we are overwhelmed, maybe we're feeling excited today, right? Or energetic, our brain goes out of this room and out of our body. This is just a really helpful tool to get you back in your body, all right? So if you can join me, go ahead and close your eyes really quickly. We're gonna take a big inhale through the nose for four counts. Hold at the top for four. Exhale through your mouth for four. Nice full exhale. Hold for four. Inhale. Hold. Exhale. Hold, last round, inhale, hold, and then fully exhale. When you open your eyes, silently identify three things in front of you. Good. Thank you for trying this with me. Hopefully that's helpful. Mm. It's a tool that you can reach back to and uh, hopefully a good way to start your 2023 year. Have a good meeting. Thank you. Thank you for your work and helping us get recentered as we kick off this new year. Appreciate that. All right, commissioners, that will take us to our resolutions that we have a resolution and an ordinance before us today. Um, the first item before us is a resolution providing for the publication of and setting a date to consider amendments to Article 2, Chapter 7, Title 1 of the Grand Rapids City Code pertaining to the police and fire retirement system. Can I get a motion? So moved. Support. Support. All right, moved and supported. Uh, we're going to start with our CFO telling us about this, and then I'll ask our city manager to add anything. Uh, and then we'll turn to questions and comments. Welcome. Uh, good morning, commissioners. Um, this item is basically a housekeeping item. We have negotiated contracts with the fire union as well as the Police Officers Association. Um, per, per ordinance, we now need to get the change in the contribution rates to the pension system um, taken care of. So that's basically what you have before you today. It's a shift of 3% for both unions. Um, from, from the employee back back to the employer. So that's what's outlined in, in uh, this item before you. Great, thank you. Uh, City Manager, anything yeah. to add? Thank, thank you, Mayor. If I could just provide just a little bit more context about uh, the approval of the agreements with the Firefighters uh, Union as well as the Grand Rapids Police Office Association. So last year, uh, we had what I consider pretty successful contract negotiations that resulted in uh, this body's approval and uh, in focusing on the needs of our workforce specifically for both unions in order to increase transparency we were able to uh, negotiate in addition to wages and benefit uh, the inclusion of the recognition of the Office of Oversight and Public Accountability in both the police and fire contracts. Uh, in addition to that in the police department's uh, contract we were able to increase the amount of time that discipline remains in the officer's file for from two to four years for serious violations. Uh, we, were already, uh, we were also able to increase our competitiveness, competitiveness in recruitment 
As you know, it's just been a very, very difficult time uh, to recruit talent in many organizations, but we've, uh, public safety and law enforcement is no different. And for that reason, we're able to uh, provide competitive wages in the contract. Specific to police, uh, we're also able to secure agreement that allows for the civilianization of certain roles where a sworn officer may not be required. And in previous uh, efforts, when we tried to do that, we were not successful and were challenged in arbitration. And so positions such as the public information officer, subpoena specialist, parking ticket enforcement, um, hot team, uh, as well as boys and gloves club, Girls and club, boys and girls club uh, staffing, as well as traffic control and other security uh, efforts uh, regarding special events, can be done by non-sworn personnel. So uh, this resulted in, as a, uh, the CFO mentioned, uh, change in the way we administer the uh, police and fires uh, benefit. Uh, there is no increased liability. Uh, the liability remains the same. You have attestation to that in your packet through uh, GRS, uh, which is the actuary for the pension fund. All that changes is the amount of contributions that the uh, city is um, now paying towards the pension fund. Previously for the fire department, there was an allowance that was um, given by the city. We took that allowance or stipend away and in lieu we made permanent contributions with the vote you have here today to the pension fund. We were going to give that same allowance to the police department, but we decided to take the same approach that we did for fire and make those permanent contributions. And so that uh, action today um, helps to shore up uh, the changes in how we administer the retirement plan with your vote. Um, the second item, I'll, I'll wait till we get through this one to talk about the second item. Yeah. Um, Mayor, I'll just add add to that that when, upon approval of these contracts last fall, we did notify, sent by email, the commission as well as the pension board of the change as, as required prior to being able to do this today. Great. Thanks. And uh, Commissioner Moody serves on our pension board. Commissioner Moody, anything to add on this item? Um, not at this point in time, but I can assure you that when we have the pension board meeting, we will be discussing it, and I'll give you more details later. Okay, great, thank you. All right, commissioners, any questions or comments? All right, seeing none, I'll call the question. All those in favor say aye. 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 Those opposed? It carries, thank you. All right, next that'll take us to a salary ordinance, and this is for the Grand Rapids Police Officers Association, Officers and Sergeant Unit. Can I get a motion? So moved. Support. All right, moved and supported. Uh, City Manager, you wanna tell us about this? I'll ask uh, Ms. Foster, our Human Resources Director, to come forth, but this essentially, Mayor, is a correction that aligns uh, the uh, benefit, the salary benefit, to what was approved in the contract. And so what you previously approved had an overstatement uh, for the salary of, I believe it was the senior officer pay for a sergeant. So I'll let Ms. Foster clarify that. Great. Yes, um, we had welcome. Um, welcome. Thanks. Yeah. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. 
Um, so what we did, uh, obviously the person who does the ordinance is not at the table and they received the information and we did the math incorrectly. And so uh, for the senior officer position, um, so we have a 2% that was given to the sergeants to their F-step and that was uh, removed in this uh, item before you. And then the last thing that we had, we had a 1% to the senior officer step of the officer, but we just did the math and, and calculated by 1% and not gave an actual 1%, which was negotiated. So I made the corrections. Ah. That's why it's coming back before us. All right, uh, city manager, anything to add on that? No, ma'am. I okay. think she. All right, uh, commissioners, it. any questions or comments? All right, I'll call the question. All those in favor say aye. 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 Those opposed? It carries. All right, commissioners, I think for uh, the next item, I'll go ahead and call the question about executive session, even though we'll wait till after our briefings to do that. Uh, for this, it's a roll call vote. So can I get a motion to go into the executive session right after our briefings? This will be to, to discuss two items on pending litigation and a legal opinion. So can I get a motion? So move. Support. All right. Moved and supported. And I'll start down here. Uh, Commissioner Purdue? Aye. Commissioner Sassi? Yes. O'Connor? Yes. Moody? Yes. Robbins? Yes. And Knight? Yes. And I am a yes. Uh, and city attorney, this will be in the law department? Okay. Uh, so once we get through the briefings, uh, we'll pack up our stuff from up here, uh, and we will go down to the sixth floor into the law department. There's a law library, and we'll meet in there. All right. Thank you. Okay, so that will take us to our briefings. Uh, commissioners, we have two really important briefings. This first one is one that we receive every year from our city comptroller, uh, Mr. Max France. Uh, and it's an overview of our fiscal year 2022 annual comprehensive financial report, as well as the citizen's guide to the city finances. So we do have copies in front of us, but I'll invite our comptroller up to walk us through. Uh, and what I'd like to do is get through the full presentation and then we'll take questions afterwards. Is that your preference? Uh, yes, that sounds fine, Mayor. Okay, great. Thank you. Welcome. Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year. Thank you, too. Um, and, of course, uh, on behalf of the City Comptroller team, uh, I'd like to extend our welcome to our new commissioners, uh, Knight, uh, Robbins, and Purdue. Uh, welcome. Um, in a few moments, I'm going to invite our uh, colleagues and valued partners at uh, Plant Moran up, and they're first actually going to give a report out uh, on the fiscal year 2022 audit. Um, after they provide that update, um, I will be providing and sharing some uh, key updates from the annual uh, comprehensive financial report uh, using our citizen's guide uh, to the city finances. Um, so I'd like to start with uh, welcoming up Joe from Plant Moran. Hi, welcome. Good to see you again. Yes, thank you. Thank you for having us. Um, as uh, the comptroller stated, my name is Joe Kowalski. I am the lead audit partner on the audit of the city. And we're here today to discuss the results of our FY22 audit. I have with me today Marie Stiegel, who is a principal at Plant Moran. And um, I always like to brag about Marie because she is the uh, leader of our technical uh, group for the uh, audits of uh, state and local governments. And so um, it's great to have her on the team because she really knows her stuff. 
I, I do want to start out by just really thanking um, not, not only the city manager's office and the commissioners um, for all of the cooperation and the culture that you've created of cooperation at the city, but real specifically, thank the Office of uh, Fiscal Services and Molly and her entire team and the Office of the Comptroller and Max and his entire team. And, and I would like to specifically thank um, Kurt and Erica who are instrumental in uh, providing information to us during the audit. When we perform the audit, we have a relatively large team on site and um, the uh, city is very responsive and Kurt and Erica, um, are, their hair is on fire while we're here, let's <laughs> just say. <laughs> so thank you both personally uh, for everything that you've done to make that possible. Um, the, the hero of the day is the opinion that we've issued on the city's financial statements. It is a clean opinion, unmodified opinion, and Marie is going to talk a little bit more about the uh, timing of the audit, um, the conduct of the audit, and um, the results of the audit. So I'll turn it over to Marie. Good morning. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Um, and thank you for the continued opportunity to serve the city. As Jill said, I'm Marie Stiegel, and I serve as the senior manager on the audit engagement. And I'm really going to be covering the audit results through two deliverables that you have in front of you. Uh, one is a letter addressed to the commissioners, and it has the date of December 12th on the top. And the other says report on internal control over financial reporting at the top. Uh, first, I'm going to cover the letter uh, that's dated December 12th addressed to the commissioners. And this is really referred to as the end of audit letter. It's a required report uh, to the governing body uh, to re report the end of the audit results. And the purpose is really to summarize how the audit went and to provide some key information related to the conduct of the audit and the results of the audit. So I'm going to cover the highlights of that letter first. Really on page two of that letter, um, it kind of describes our responsibility. And as Joe mentioned, that's really to provide an opinion on the annual comprehensive financial report. Um, and um, as Joe mentioned, that was a clean opinion, an unmodified opinion. Excuse me. Yes. You said there was a letter in the report? Um, it's, in, it's in here. Oh, it's in the book. Okay. Yes. Thank you. I just wanted to know where it was at. Okay. So. <laughs> yeah, Sorry about that. So, and I should have pointed that out too, Commissioners, because we have a couple different documents in front of us. Uh, so the first will be related to... Thank you. And our city attorney needs uh, the a documents copy. too. Okay. The clerk, for the record. Uh, do we have extras? Thank you. We'll, we'll get some. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes, it's a, you have the large bound document, and then the first one I'm covering, it uh, has the date at the top, and it's addressed to the honorable members of the city commission. Um, so again, on page two of that letter, it describes our responsibility to provide an opinion on the annual comprehensive financial report and that it was fairly presented in all material respects. And we did provide a uh, clean opinion, as Joe mentioned. Our audit did proceed in accordance with the anticipated timing and scope. And it does describe that there was one new auditing standard that was implemented in this uh, financial report. And that was called GASB 87, and it related to leases. 
Uh, I will say the implementation of this new standard was a significant undertaking uh, for the city. It had to go through many documents to determine um, the impact and which qualified as leases under the new standard. And some beginning of year amounts in the capital asset and debt footnote within their financial report uh, did incorporate the new items identified as leases as part of the implementation <coughs> of this standard. Page three of this letter describes any estimates that were significant and necessary for the financial report. Um, it is necessary to make certain estimates to um, identify some items in the financial report. Some of the more significant items that are specifically highlighted are items related to incurred but not reported costs, income tax refunds payable, the net pension liability, and the net other post-employment benefits liability <clears throat> and related disclosures. These were determined based on historical data and trends, as well as assumptions incorporated into actuarial valuations for the pension and other post-employment benefit liabilities. We did evaluate all of those estimates and determined that they were reasonable as it relates to the financial reporting. We did not um, come across any significant difficulties in performing the audit and had no disagreements with management. And we did not identify any misstatements of the accounting records, which is an outstanding uh, result for a, a community this large. On page four of the letter, it just identifies that there is certain information in the financial report, such as the statistical information and introductory information. That's really the responsibility of management, but we have read that information and we have not identified any inconsistencies with the financial reporting. Starting on page five of that letter, um, there's some additional legislative and just informational items, which I'm not gonna cover in detail. We can answer any questions you have on those. Uh, I think within there, it is worth noting that there are several other new accounting standards that will be required to be implemented over the next several years. Um, as Plant Moran has always done, we have webinars throughout the year and tools that we develop, and we will continue to provide those resources to the city. The other deliverable uh, letter that I mentioned that I'm going to cover says report on internal control over financial reporting at the very top. And this is, again, a required uh, report that we provide to you to report if there was any internal control deficiencies or weaknesses that rise to the level that need to be reported as findings to the city or any compliance issues that were identified as part of the audit. And I'm happy to result uh, to report that there was no findings or compliance issues to report as part of this communication. Uh, with that, I will turn it back over to... Uh, City Comptroller. Thank you. Great. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Maria. Thank you, Joe. Um, so now uh, we're going to take uh, a few minutes uh, and we're going to go through our citizen's guide uh, to the city finances. <coughs> I think we should we should just highlight before you move on that there weren't any significant findings. So I think that's important. Appreciate you saying that, but yes, yeah, uh, very important. I think it's something uh, for our entire city team to be proud of. So, absolutely. Um, so, diving uh, right in here to the citizens' guide again. This is um, an abbreviated version of the annual comprehensive financial report. 
Um, so this is a common tool that we use to socialize city finances um, with citizens and other groups that are interested because um, while the annual comprehensive report um, is very informative and contains a lot of uh, great detail, um, it's not always, uh, always the best place for conversation starters. So the Citizen's mm. Guide uh, is a great way to start discussions around city finances and those who are interested in more information, um, we uh, can share the act for, uh, with them. Uh, so quick introduction here, just an overview of the city, uh, the city government, uh, a bit about um, City of Grand Rapids. Uh, and of course, uh, absolutely, uh, you know, want to recognize our city comptroller uh, team here. Uh, as you know, um, and particularly for the new commissioners, our deputy city comptroller, uh, Kurt Rapoon is here with us uh, this morning, uh, as well as uh, Erica Bills, uh, our accounting supervisor. Uh, none of this could happen uh, without their work and the team's uh, dedication to this each year. So I thank them. Uh, quick summary uh, and table of contents uh, of what's in the report. And this is the slide here that um, I like to start with. This is a uh, one page, pretty much as high level as you can get, uh, overview of city finances. And every other page uh, in this presentation um, dives a little bit deeper into each one of these topics. So if you are looking for quick information on important highlights of city finances, this is, uh, this is the pl place to start. Uh, so for fiscal year 2022, uh, you can see the city's revenues. Uh, we're $428 million, uh, it's 2.5% uh, higher versus prior year. Uh, city expenses uh, were $360 million, 5% uh, uh, lower versus prior year. And the differential between those revenue and expense uh, figures results in the change uh, in our net position, which is a favorable or positive uh, $68 million. Uh, so on the right there, you can see that that increases um, the city's overall net position, uh, which largely reflects the difference between our total assets uh, and liabilities. Down at the bottom, we have a snapshot uh, on the general fund, the city's primary operating fund, um, which of course gets a lot of visibility um, and attention. Um, our fund balance increased uh, $23 million uh, versus prior year, um, and the unassigned fund balance currently stands at uh, $68.2 million. Um, and just for clarification, that also does not include the portion of the $14 million that we have in budget stabilization uh, as well. Um, a bit on outstanding debt, uh, $492 million, slightly down uh, versus uh, the prior year. Um, a snapshot of our credit rating, uh, AA from Standard & Poor's, uh, very good. And then uh, a quick overview of pension benefits, 86% uh, funded uh, overall, and we'll cover that a little bit more um, on a later slide. So now as we hop into the presentation, um, we break down some of those high-level figures uh, a bit more. And when we prepare this presentation, really the goal is to, to do the best we can to you know, socialize this stuff to the average citizen, the person that may not have had exposure to city finances before, while also staying true to the important data and, and information uh, that's in the report. Um, so you can see of that $428 million, um, almost 85% of city revenues uh, can be accounted for in charges for services like water, sewer, and parking, uh, income taxes, property taxes, and also um, operating grants uh, and contributions. 
Um, one thing I do want to point out uh, this year, because we had a similar item on there uh, last year as well, um, but investment earnings, um, that shows a, a negative figure there. Um, and I did speak with uh, our treasurer and other colleagues at the city about this, and I do think it's important to share a little bit of extra context uh, on this figure because uh, that negative amount there is not driven by a realized investment loss. The city and our treasurer is actually uh, earning interest and income from our investments. However, when we have to uh, account um, for our securities portfolio at year-end when we do this government-wide accounting, we have to take into consideration the mark-to-market, the current fair market value um, on our outstanding investments. And if that is negative, we have to reflect that in the accounting, but it is not a realized loss. So, you know, if you purchase something uh, at 100 and it goes down to, you know, 95 uh, next week, um, you have to recognize that, you know, 5% loss, even though you didn't uh, sell anything per se. So hopefully that provides some helpful clarity uh, on that number. Uh, skipping to the next slide here, uh, city expenses. Uh, similar kind of view is the way we break down revenue. Um, just slightly over 80% of city expenditures uh, can be accounted for in public safety, public works, uh, sewage disposal, water supply, and uh, the general government, um, you know, people, departments here uh, in City Hall, uh, which were slightly down um, uh, versus prior year. Um, and as you can see, kind of broadly uh, across the board, um, we also do make a uh, footnote here uh, regarding public safety as it remains, uh, you know, definitely a topic of public interest. Um, again, when we account for some of these non-cash expenses at the end of the year, in this case it shows public safety uh, expenditures are 7% lower. When we remove the impact that these pension uh, accounting entries can have on that spend, it's actually less than a percent difference uh, year over year operationally. So I uh, just think it's important to um, call that out, provide some visibility there. This vendor detail slide is just double clicking kind of one layer deeper on city expenses because in that big city expenses number, um, at the end of the day, most of that is um, you know, going to paying our employees, our workforce, or um, other entities, organizations, or businesses that the city uh, works with. So we prepared this slide to kind of show um, some more detail um, from that standpoint. And this uh, really just points out, um, we pull about like the top 40 uh, vendors and entities here, which um, the city paid um, over a million dollars uh, for or two in uh, fiscal year 2022. Um, one thing we did add this year uh, at the request of commissioners last year was to highlight uh, some of these businesses on here that are micro local business enterprise uh, certified. And we do have three of those uh, businesses on this list, uh, Lodestar Construction, Wyoming Excavators, and uh, groundhog excavating uh, that you can see there. Uh, we also include a link below um, uh, to the MLBE website. Um, so anyone in is interested in that uh, program to learn more about it, uh, you can link there pretty easily with the QR code. Uh, the next slide, this is a new addition uh, to the Citizen's Guide uh, this year on tax abatements and also as a result of uh, some feedback we got from the commissioners last year uh, as well. Um, so overall, in fiscal year 2022, there was just under $3.9 million uh, in taxes abated. Uh, those were uh, primarily facilitated through those top two rows, uh, the Brownfield, 
um, and uh, the pilot the payment in lieu of taxes, um, you know, for revitalization of, you know, blight properties and investment in affordable uh, housing projects. Uh, additionally, uh, the Department of Economic Development uh, also provided us some helpful information for the team to include this year that talks about um, some of the great positive impact uh, that these programs have uh, in the city of Grand Rapids. And similar with elsewhere in this presentation, uh, we link to the Economic Development Department website um, for citizens interested in learning more um, about these programs. Uh, you can go there. Um, net position, uh, we talked a little about, a bit about this on the first slide. Again, that was a positive $68 million increase. Uh, so on the left, you can see um, that, that, blue, that blue column, the $798 million. Again, that represents the difference between the city's assets and liabilities one year ago. And then you can see the walk um, kind of from the green to red, that uh, the green is the revenue, red expenditures, that differential is that positive 68 million uh, that results in our year-end uh, net position for uh, FY22 of $866 million. The next slide here, uh, we break down a little bit more uh, detail uh, on the general fund. Um, Overall, the general fund total uh, fund balance is uh, $98.4 million. Um, but as you can see, there's various uh, components uh, within the general fund. Uh, the one, again, that is typically of most uh, interest, interest individuals is that $68.2 million, which is that unassigned or unconstrained amount uh, that is uh, available um, to spend. The next slide uh, here uh, breaks down the city's debt position a little bit more. Um, so the city of Grand Rapids has $492 um, million outstanding debt, which is a slight decrease um, um, from prior year. Uh, but what's very important, I think, is you know context um, around that number. So there's two kind of components uh, of that debt, which we break down uh, in those bar charts uh, here below. Um, there's government type debt, which you can see that's 64 million, which is uh, you know backed by uh, the taxpayers. Um, you know we're on, we're on the hook for that. You can see um, that that's a much kind of lower amount than the business type debt, which is uh, 428 million dollars outstanding. Um, the payments and the debt uh, issued um, on that side of things is uh, backed by um, you know the charges uh, and income from those programs like you know water and sewer versus taxpayer revenue uh, on the government side. Uh, also, we try to um, use these charts to kind of uh, give an indication of you know leverage. Um, so we show those uh, principal and interest payments in the red there uh, as a percentage of the associated uh, uh, revenue um, for those bonds. So um, hopping over to um, pension and other post-employment uh, benefit obligations. Um, this is, uh, um, you know, this is of course very, you know, significant numbers here. So we try to provide just a high-level overview, but, you know, the city offers uh, five pension and uh, OPEB, OPEB plans. Um, you can see there's thousands of employees or former employees, retirees that participate uh, in these programs. Uh, overall, uh, there's a total of $1.3 billion uh, in plan liabilities uh, owed to plan participants and approximately uh, $1.1 billion in assets uh, held in those plans. Um, the differential between those two figures uh, is what we call the total net pension and OPEB liability, uh, which is just under $175 million there. 
Um, that results in our percent uh, funded for those plans, which uh, as of the reporting dates we use here uh, is 86%. Um, and it's important to note that that does not necessarily reflect where we stand uh, today, but it is based upon uh, the actuarial valuation reports that are available to us when we start the audit uh, each year. So that is very much you know, uh, a, moving, a moving number, but represents uh, the information available at the time when we conduct the audit. Um, getting into some of the, the last slides we have here, we of course link out to um, other areas of interest and topics uh, at the city. Of course, you can go to the, uh, the annual comprehensive financial report, which is again the more detailed 190 page version of what we just covered. Um, and we have a link to the city's uh, budget and fiscal plan, uh, as well as uh, the police department publishes a report and also some information uh, where people can learn about uh, the Office of Oversight and Public Accountability. General uh, information here uh, on the government, uh, commission, city officials, where you can follow the city on social media and so forth. And in the appendix here, we just provide a breakdown um, with has some just kind of general descriptions of many of the other funds that are used to account for city revenues uh, and expenditures. So that, uh, that concludes a, you know, an overview uh, of the Citizen's Guide and here and have members of my team to help uh, answer any questions that you have. Great. Thank you, Comptroller France. Uh, this is well put together. I always appreciate getting this. Uh, I especially like the breakdown that you did for pension liabilities. I think that can be very confusing to people, and I think the slide that you used is very helpful uh, and explains that well. So thank you for that. You know, my, my question is uh, related to making sure that we do our best to get this information out to the public. I know a couple of years ago you created a five, six-minute video. Uh, are you doing something like that? What is the plan to get this information out to individuals? Uh, yes, the plan is to do another video, which is kind of similar to the presentation that we just did here. It would just be available uh, on YouTube. Um, we also would like to get um, uh, the Citizen's Guide up on the homepage of the website for a period of time. Um, and then also something we started doing in the past year again with uh, you know, the pandemic restrictions kind of tapering away is we've been getting out a lot more to the neighborhood associations and uh, other organizations in the community and sharing this directly with them, giving them copies of it, talking through it, seeing what topics they're inter interested in. And so that's kind of the, um, the distribution plan right now. Great. Thank you. All right. I'll turn to my colleagues and see if they have any questions. Commissioners, any questions? Thanks. Madam Mayor, I have one. Too, by the way. Right. Go ahead. Uh, I'll start down here with Commissioner Moody and then go to Commissioner Isasi. Yeah, ladies first. Oh, all right. Commissioner Isasi. Thank you, Commissioner. Um, thank you, um, City Comptroller, for this presentation. I just wanted to say um, thank you for um, um, including some of those pieces that we talked about as related to the MLBE and the Brownfield pieces. I think it, um, you know, when things come before us, we're seeing them at that moment in time and to see it in that aggregate information is really helpful. Um, you know, I think this is another component of community engagement. When people come to us and ask, like, why are we doing something or not doing something? Um, people can ultimately still disagree, but we can have the information and be very transparent. So thanks for um, including that information in, um, in this report. Absolutely, you're welcome. Yeah, thanks, good additions. Uh, Commissioner Moody? Yeah, thanks for this report. Um, you may have said this, but I might have missed it. When it comes to the urban community development, we got 
And in reading this, you have a negative 6.6%. Could you explain that for me, please? Uh, Commissioner Moody, could you just let me know which? Slide three. Slide three. And your pie chart there. Yes. Have, uh, I just want to oh. just get some clarity on the negative point. Uh, yes, um, I think I, I think I understand your question. So in the the text column on the right there, that negative six point six percent is uh, the change in the year over year expenditures. So it's just saying lower versus uh, the prior year of uh, fiscal year twenty twenty one. Whereas uh, on the pie chart, those percentages are showing the portion or the slice of overall expenses that that specific category represents. Good, thank you. Mm -hmm. I appreciate you saying that. I, I needed to hear that. Yeah, absolutely. I needed the difference in my mind as to what that was. Yeah, thank you. All right, commissioners, any other questions? City manager? <coughs> Did you have a question? Well, Mayor, thank you, and I want to uh, thank the Comptroller and his staff for uh, their help in conducting this annual report, this annual stewardship report. It aligns with our values of accountability and transparency. I do want to thank Plant Moran and the Fiscal Services team uh, for their due diligence as well. But it is much bigger than uh, just those three entities that I mentioned. There are departments throughout this entire organization who uh, day in, day out, try to ensure financial integrity and compliance to uh, rules and as an organization and the accounting rules uh, specifically. And to exercise with fidelity uh, the revenues that we are entrusted with through the taxpayers, by fees, by taxes, by services, as well as the decisions that you make from the dais to ensure that they are being carried out with uh, fidelity and integrity. And so uh, as much as this is, I have appreciation for the auditors, I want to share my appreciation for the audited, uh, the people who um, spend countless hours in scrutiny and sometimes unnecessary uh, scrutiny for governmental accountability, but I think we know that we're held to a higher standard. Now, I do also want to highlight that uh, for the public and especially for our, our new commissioners that as a comptroller identified, this is for audit period. So this is as of June, the end of June of 2022. Now, financial position has changed since then quite extensively. So the audit is a look back. It's a look back for public reporting. It's a look back for the bond rating agencies to know how we're operating as an organization. But we'll have more discussion about looking forward uh, in our budget conversations. And as you socialize this report, I think it's important to know that the financial position as of June 30th have, has changed quite a bit. What's, what's shown as uh, in reserves, and, and you'll get an updated report during, uh, I think, our February mid-year report about where we stand now and what we anticipate for fiscal year 24. But again, uh, my appreciation to uh, the Comptroller's Office and the team, um, both uh, Financial Services and Plant Moran, for their help in, in helping us uh, do this very important work. Yeah, thank you, City Manager. And I think all of us are reminded of that when we look at our own personal retirement accounts, <laughs> uh, that there's a lot of, of changes right now happening in the market. So. All right, thank you so much. Uh, I think we're finished with this. Any final thoughts before I move on to the next briefing? Uh, no, thank you, City Manager, for your remarks. Uh, thank you, Mayor. Thank you, everyone, uh, this morning. And uh, happy to share this you know, positive audit report out with you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks so much. And thanks again to Plant Moran.
Well, Mayor, I forgot one other person. And our treasurer would appreciate the notation. I think you reported this morning that uh, despite the accounting recording of the interest, that we're pretty steady at achieving almost 2% return on, on assets. Yeah, I, I hope you, you got to our city treasurer before he saw this and had a panic attack. Yeah. <laughs> we do really appreciate our, our treasurer and, and the entire team. So thanks so much. Yeah. Um, commissioners, we're going to move on to a next uh, update. This is a really important conversation. Before I get to uh, this, though, I was reminded that uh, we will have in the chambers right at the end of this meeting before we go into executive session a group photo. Uh, so David Green wanted me to remind you of that. So please stay just for a few moments. We'll gather out here. We're going to take a picture with just the electeds and then with the electeds and the appointments. Uh, and then we'll go downstairs, and then we'll, you can go and get individual uh, photographs after that. That will be added to our website. Uh, so, commissioners, this next <clears throat> update and briefing is an important one. Uh, many of you know and were part of <clears throat> excuse me, um, discussions last year about what we are doing to uh, support individuals who are experiencing homelessness. Uh, we heard from a lot of individuals within our community that they want us to do more. There's a long history to the city's role in uh, supporting services to help individuals experiencing homelessness. Uh, what I said last month at Public Safety was that um, the city doesn't provide a number of services. We are partners in this space. Uh, and a lot of questions came from this body about current effectiveness of services as well as where are the gaps and what the city can do to maybe be more actively engaged uh, since we are often looked to to solve the problem. Uh, and so we had an update at our public safety meeting last month. Uh, I see the chief is in the audience. The chief uh, was there as well and provided some good background on issues related to enforcement. Uh, we asked our city manager to bring back information based on a lot of the questions that we posed to today's meeting. Uh, and then we'll have another conversation at public safety in just a couple weeks. Uh, so I think before I turn it to our deputy city manager, I'll turn it to our city manager to make any other comments uh, before we get started on this briefing. And then commissioners, same thing. I'll ask you to hold your questions and comments until the end. Uh, and then we'll have a discussion. City Manager? Mayor, I think you, you summarized it um, correctly. And I just want to acknowledge that this is uh, a very uh, challenging conversation because the issues have been longstanding. And uh, there are a lot of people that are impacted by uh, the unhoused to include those persons uh, experiencing homelessness, but also family members, as well as uh, what we've heard uh, over the past couple of months, both uh, residents and businesses um, as well. And so we know that uh, this can be an issue that um, polarizes people based on your perspective. And so what we hope to do is just call it like it is, balls and strikes today, down the middle and share the facts about uh, what's happening in our um, community in terms of the people that are uh, partnering in this work and as the mayor said uh, to look for opportunities in the future uh, to improve on um, the good work that's going on and so Ms. Behrens and Ms. Bohatch uh, will be briefing us today uh, and they have uh, done a lot of good work and I want to thank them in advance for some of this work had to occur over the holidays uh, because we uh, left uh, right before uh, the holiday break and came back immediately uh, into this topic. And so my appreciation to them, and I'll turn it over to Ms. Behrens at this time. 
Thank you very much. So uh, I think uh, the ma mayor and the manager both covered what happened on December 13th. So I will just reground in sort of the bit bigger picture before turning it over to Ms. Bohatch to go into detail on today's topic. Uh, so on the 13th, we did briefly outline the city's three-pronged approach to um, addressing the needs of those that are unhoused or facing housing instability. And I do want to, and, and that three-pronged approach addresses investing in facilities, investing in services and systems, and uh, an enforcement approach. And I do want to, to pause here and pick up on what the city manager was saying. We are not conflating homelessness with crit criminal activity. Um, it is important to note, though, that there is some overlap between particularly some of the nonviolent behavioral misdemeanor um, enforcement tools that, that you are frequently asked to consider and those that are experiencing homelessness. And we know from past experience that we get ourselves in a somewhat ineffective cycle if we only focus on enforcement. So uh, I do want to um, emphasize we are not conflating the two, but there is some relationship. And so in prior conversations, the city has said we need to do a deeper dive comprehensively on how we are supporting those in crisis in our community before we consider whether we need additional enforcement tools. And that um, theme was reiterated by the commission on December 13th. And that really sets the stage for why we are here today. Um, we did talk quite a bit on December 13th about the enforcement tools we currently have. We are here today to talk a little bit more and provide a brief history of a complicated um, uh, network of services and systems that exist um, at the federal level, how the feds set the stage for what we do here, and then how we collaborate across a number of non-governmental organizations and governmental organizations to fit within that federal framework, but to provide um, in collaboration what we believe in this community is the best approach to serving those that are homeless or at risk of um, being unhoused. There is uh, also a lot that we are doing on the facilities front here at the city. So by facilities, I mean um, adding more housing stock in particular. Um, I think m many agencies will say this more articulately than I do, but the best way to address homelessness is having us enough homes for everybody at levels that everyone can afford. Um, and so I don't want to overlook that the city is doing a lot of good work in that space as well, and we'll do future updates about that. Um, but today, um, I will turn it over now to Ms. Bohatch to uh, give a little bit of an overview of that services and systems side of things, as well as initiatives that have been identified to help us and our partners all improve and fill gaps in that particular leg of the stool. And then uh, she will outline what we propose to do with the Public Safety Committee to continue to educate and assess how those things are doing, identify, uh, confirm what we are investing in in all of those legs of the stool, and if there are um, adjustments that are needing to be made to rebalance the way we are approaching each of those three legs, some of the work we're doing with the Public Safety Committee will help us identify those and um, engage the community and the commission further if um, that is revealed by the work.
Thank you, Ms. Behrens. Um, so my name is Connie Bohach. I'm the Senior uh, Managing Director for Community Services. Um, I've been in the Community Development Department since um, 1994. So I've uh, been here a long time, but I don't predate um, all of the history. Um, so that's, I guess, good news for me anyway. Um, and um, as Ms. Behrens indicated, I would like to provide a, high, a very high-level overview of our homeless, um, of the Grand Rapids Area Homeless Response System. Um, really, it's intended to just sort of whet your appetite and um, set the stage for additional presentations that's going to come forward to you from, from our partners in the community. Um, and really, we just want to start with a bit of history so we really understand um, where our current state sort of comes from in our community, um, and especially when we talk about the system, which you hear that a lot, but so what exactly is that in reference to? Um, so we'll, we'll start with... Um, some um, real exciting, right, um, fed, the federal response to homelessness. And then we'll t look at um, our local response and how we've reacted to, um, in essence, legislation that has come about over time. So in 1983 um, is when the federal government first really started to um, engage in um, this re in terms of how to resource issues related to homelessness. Um, and I should back up and say, um, prior to the federal government's involvement, we have um, nonprofits in even in our community that has been, been working to address this issue long, long before government interaction. So, for example, Mel Trotter has been in place since 1900. So, the issue of homelessness isn't brand new, right, in any community, um, but to um, government interaction and resourcing um, efforts to support um, those issues is, is newer. Um, so beginning in 1983 at the federal level. And at that time, they really didn't identify any agency. They had cross-interagency interactions starting, but there was no agency that really took ownership or were the champions for the issue. And there really weren't any resources that were being deployed into communities as a result of that. It was really intended more as a disposition policy and providing context to local um, entities to be able to um, you, um, identify buildings where um, they could... Uh, um, acquire those buildings for shelter and food banks. It wasn't until um, 1984 when the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development worked to, sh um, to shine a light on the issue um, nation nationwide and saying that there's this increasing um, population of unhoused throughout the country. Um, and that led to um, the adoption in 1987 of the Stuart um, B. McKinney Homelessness Assistance Act. And that was the first major legislation that really provided resources into communities for sheltering and food assistance. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, that act has been reauthorized over time, actually a, a few times, and um, in 2000 it was renamed the McKinney-Vento Homelessness Assistance Act. Um, in 1994 is when um, HUD, the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, starts to really um, um, develop the concept of what um, called the housing continuum of care, um, wanting wanting lo um, local jurisdictions to start doing more planning and coordination of services. And so while it wasn't a formal um, action um, through legislation, it was the concept that was starting to push down um, through local into the local communities that were receiving funds from the, from the federal government. Um, in 1995 um, is when... Um, the competitive COC, um, Continuum of Care, when we see COC, that's Continuum of Care. Um, early days was called the Housing Continuum of Care. Um, that's when they established, um, took 
separate competitive grants that um, lo uh, local jurisdictions were eligible to apply for and consolidated it into one program um, called the um, COC application. And it required a single application for all of those programs that became consolidated. And the intent, again, was to sort of continue to drive that notion of, stream, uh, of um, encouraging the coordination on the local level for service providers. In 2009, that act um, was reauthorized again, um, and it transitioned to what was called the Homeless Emergency Assistance and Rapid Rehousing, uh, sorry, Rapid Transition to Housing, known as the HEARTH Act. Um, this then really codified into law the roles and functions of COCs across the country and also that COC application program. Um, it did a number of things which included um, expanding definitions for homelessness, it created system-wide performance measures, um, established um, the use of coordinated entry, and it um, changed the name of the emergency uh, shelter program to the emergency solutions grants program. So that was a significant change in language to help accelerate um, a shift from sheltering and recognizing the housing first model and rapid rehousing to try to transition from an emergency response to more of a proactive and permanent response. And for the first time, um, the federal government created its own strategic plan to end homelessness that was launched in 2010 as a result of that reauthorization. So when we um, talk about federal funds that come into our community for homelessness assistance, um, it comes in two ways. There's formula grants and there's competitive grants. Um, the, non, uh, the formula grants are non-competitive. Um, the Emergency Solutions Grant is an example of that. Um, the City of Grand Rapids, uh, Kent County, and other eligible jurisdictions will receive those, uh, those funds. Um, and you might be familiar, and the new commissioners will learn, of how we allocate those funds on an annual basis um, that come directly to us from the federal government. Um, and we have, um, and our use of those funds are based on our consolidated housing and community development plans, and then the submission of annual action plans um, for the use of, for identifying the, the use of those funds. Excuse me, the use of those funds on an annual basis. And there's then there's the competitive um, application, and our the COC program currently brings in approximately um, seven point five million dollars on an annual basis for um, for our community um, in these areas of permanent housing, transitional housing, and supportive services, along with some of the infrastructure um, type uh, management for our. Um, homeless management information system. Those competitive applications are scored and ranked on a national basis to, to receive, to receive um, those funds. Um, and when we get any of these funds from the federal government, the city's funds, the COC's um, funds, that we're required to use the homeless management information system, known as HMIS, that houses our community data, and we're required to have a coordinated entry system, which was really a, a, uh, a standard process for assessing people's housing um, and service needs and being able to connect them to available resources. So now we'll get to our local response, which by the dates you can see it sort of correlates to the federal, um, the, the federal acts, um, actions that have taken place. Um, but well before um, the, um, uh, the federal government started to resource uh, 
resource uh, communities with funding. Um, in Kent County, we had the Essential Needs Task Force that dates back to 1982, and it was set up as an emergency response and anti-poverty strategy for Kent County residents, which includes um, Grand Rapids. Um, it had subcommittees uh, that were uh, around the table to talk about basic needs and um, of, of uh, individuals and families in our county. Um, so it started with a, a wide variety of um, nonprofit service providers in the areas of food, shelter, um, utility assistance, and transportation. Over time, the name of the ENTF changed from um, emergency to essential. Um, so today, we know it as the Essential Needs Task Force. And again, that was in the mid-2000s to reflect that shift from um, crisis response to um, increasing stability for families. In 1994, the city of Grand Rapids, um, um, in response to the federal government um, and their um, um, filtering down of that COC concept, began coordination of federal competitive grant applications for our community. Um, and at that time, we had to have agencies, we, we had to have a continuum of care in place. And so we pointed to um, the subcommittee through the ENTF to meet that requirement because it was already a convening of, of all the nonprofits in our community that were addressing these issues. So rather than create something new, we leaned on something that had been in place for many, many years. Um, and we, um, we then managed the, the activities of that application um, process and um, carried that out. And we did that until um, the year 2000. And at that point, we sort of pushed this out into the community um, through support um, uh, with the um, Kent County Family Independence Agency, um, the City of Grand Rapids, and FIA, shared the cost of a, an FTE. And that person now um, is... Uh, you would reflect the same position as Ms. Courtney uh, Myers-Keaton, who serves as the director for the Coalition on Homelessness. So that was really the creation of that position years ago. And um, we did that until, um, uh, sorry, uh, the Salvation Army served as a fiduciary and employer of record at the beginning of that work. Um, so it took it, assumed that responsibility from the city, from city staff and community development department. And then um, over time, that has now transitioned to Heart of West Michigan United Way in terms of that fiduciary and employer of record. I, that was in 2014. And then most recently, there's been some additional trans, um, transferring of, of uh, the HMIS and the coordinated entry grants that come through the COC process um, that is now um, managed by United Way. And that began in um, t this year. Sorry, last year in 2022. In 2005, um, our community uh, created, I should say, launched its 10-year plan to end homelessness. It started from a uh, community convening in December of 2023 with over, uh, and took two years of conversations by hundreds of participants that really got us into um, looking differently at how we provide services and what the focus should be for um, uh, addressing needs of um, families at who are homeless, or so say persons who are homeless and at risk of homelessness. Um, the focus was um, in, in that plan was, was on ending rather than managing um, homelessness issues. Um, they had a great phrase of 
opening the front door and closing the back door, um, meaning they wanted to focus more on prevention and permanent housing and the model of housing first, meaning that um, housing was a basic right and that you don't need to have services in order to be housed in the future, or sorry, be to be housed. Um, and that plan was in place during that 10-year period, and then it was even extended um, for implementation um, until the completion of the, their most recent plan in 2021. In 2010, as part of, uh, in response to that vision to end homelessness, there was the Roots to Root, Roofs to Roots campaign and initiative, um, where the coalition um, where the COC um, actually did some really great work around housing and transportation and the affordability uh, factors in Grand Rapids and Kent County. And a report was released um, that really emphasized that and um, led the implementation of the remaining years of the Vision to End Homelessness. And at that time, resources in our community began to to shift from crisis response even more um, to housing stability. So we had, so there was alignment on, again, the prevention, permanent housing solutions, and housing first approach. In 2021, the Coalition to End Homelessness Strategic Plan, the new plan, was adopted. And, uh, with a real focus on increasing capacity um, of staff and the system itself, and um, increasing diversity of input put into the system, and particularly for um, persons of lived experience, um, wanting to increase data analysis capacity to drive continuous improvement and learning, um, to have better, um, to increase the effectiveness of services and, and programs. And then um, also identifying sort of top system, what they refer to as vitals for individuals and families, um, tracking that data and being able to um, report out to the community uh, more clear clearly on those outcomes. So that's the most recent work. And um, just really high level, um, giving you some information about data that's publicly available through the COC. And, um, and we can always, everyone's very interested in the data and what it means, um, and I think that would be best um, served when you meet the next time that we have presentations that will go into more information about data. So this is just very high level. On an annual basis, um, communities are required by the federal government to do a point in time count, and that count um, is done at, on a particular day, or should say night, um, where folks go out and actually are canvassing, um, canvassing around Kent County to find um, persons who are unsheltered. And we also have counts of that night of who are in shelter and in transitional housing. And so you can see here that over time, there's a trending increase in terms of the total number of persons who've been identified as um, homeless, and, <clears throat> and there's a slight decrease between um, last year and this year in particular of the number that were unsheltered. Um, again, that's a one time in typically in January um, when this occurs, so it's just a snapshot. Um, Last year, for the first time, that there were, we had the ability to um, identify, because this is Kent County data, um, not the city of Grand Rapids, but for the first time, um, there was a delineation of that data um, to be able to determine that 36 of the 51 unsheltered persons were actually in the city of Grand Rapids. Um, and it, this is just an additional breakdown of that same data that shows um, single adult persons that were um, uh, unsheltered, I'm sorry, 
in that, sorry, in that um, count as well as persons and families. And families here is in response to any, um, at least one adult and one child who's, um, who, who, um, with at least one adult and one child is, is identified as a family in, during this count. Um, there's a lot of conversation around emergency shelter bed capacity, um, along with um, the point in time count. There's also counts in terms of how many beds are actually available in your community. Um, this data shows that um, in 2022, we had 911 beds available. Um, that does include um, ho use of hotel vouchers as well, um, and would just um, want to identify that in 2022, um, there was um, some additional resources that were one time in our community of 58, um, that supported 58 vouchers um, that came from CARES Act funding that um, currently would not be um, available you know, today uh, moving forward. So just wanna make sure that that's clear. So you can see sort of the, uh, the point in time count, again, is that one snapshot in time of the persons that were identified um, in emergency shelter or unsheltered, so 858 on that given night. And then I wanna just transition to um, the sort of entities, the agencies um, that are really involved in this work. And so as we talked about the COC, um, in our community, it's now really um, the Grand Rapids Area Coalition to End Homelessness um, serves as our COC for the Grand Rapids, Wyoming, Kent County continuum of care. So when the federal government talks about our continuum of care, um, we refer to the Coalition to End Homelessness. And so in essence, it, um, that capacity for the COC has been in place since 1994. Um, the, this, um, they're responsible for system planning and coordination. So really um, making sure that we do have plans and strategies to prevent and end homelessness within our community. They're responsible for conducting the point in time count on an annual basis, um, the housing inventory count, which is that bed, um, available bed um, availability and providing gaps analysis for that. Um, they're responsible for maintaining the HMIS system, the data um, and data analysis and reporting that to the federal government. Um, and, and really um, critical is maintaining a government structure um, and policies to make sure that we are operating in accordance with federal regulations, um, including HMIS and coordinated entry. And that's really critical, um, not just to the COC application funds at $7.5 million, but also the funds that we receive here at the city um, gets tied to those requirements as well. And again, the COC, um, the Coalition on Homelessness, manages that community competitive um, um, program grant application. The Housing Stability Alliance um, uh, came about in 2018 um, to convene community partners around housing instability for families with children. Um, that was in response to um, indications of uh, data that um, highlighted some disproportionate and disparate um, impacts for families and particularly families of color in our community related to accessing and um, obtaining services um, and the outcomes um, that were um, achieved for, for families um, of color. Um, this led to um, a two-year uh, process of, again, looking at information and convening and, and, and looking at how do we move forward. It created a common agenda and roadmap to promote housing stability. 
Um, and really focused on equitable community engagement plan for um, lived experience at decision-making tables, wanting to move that kind of work forward, um, wanting to create a backbone entity to lead that work, um, and to look at high leverage activities um, to address root causes of housing instability, um, and also um, develop communication plans that better communicate the progress and challenges um, to the broader community and um, providing a little um, more transparency about that work. Housing Kent um, was then uh, created in 2022 and it's intended to be the collective backbone organization for the Housing Stability Alliance. So um, as I just mentioned in that work from that two years of convening and that roadmap um, said in order to lead that work and have these continued conversations and make progress, we really need to have an agency that is facilitating, um, facilitating that for us. Um, so the work is to convene multi-sector partners. Um, their intent is to focus on three goals that increase affordable housing, dissolve homelessness, eliminate racial disparities in the housing system. So that work is um, underway, has re begun um, relatively recently. And um, they also are looking at how do you um, they're focusing on the, the pathway um, and trying to go from no housing to being housed by choice is the sort of spectrum that they have created um, to move that work forward. Um, wanting to develop countywide um, shared data and measurement um, that can help us um, better look at um, needs and gaps within our community um, for better outcomes and programs. And then also the policy, policy and advocacy related to these issues. And again, um, the coalition um, as well as um, Housing Kent have been invited to come on the 24th with some additional information. So there's um, a lot of continuing um, work, or I say work in progress, trying to improve system response. Um, I'd say the first uh, to note our community initiatives that have been um, going on for, for a while and have, um, have various um, support from different funders and a lot of engagement throughout the community. Um, we have FUSE built for zero and family functional zero. Um, these efforts are really um, focused on, um, are targeted for specific populations and really working to figure out how we can better serve those populations and achieve better outcomes. Um, most recently, um, the community has received the Youth Dem Homelessness Demonstration Program grant. That's over $2.4 million for projects um, uh, that would be um, supported. And currently, um, the work is beginning to actually create a plan to end homelessness that would then feed into how these resources um, could be deployed to better serve our community in that space. Um, there's work being done to enhance the COC staffing uh, model to be able to have um, improved data quality and analysis and also to for communications, right? That data is really important so we can um, outline for the community what the needs are, um, what progress is being made, and so that um, the community understands that and there's more transparency and accountability as well as um, increasing the capacity for service providers. Um, it's a desire through their strategic plan to achieve a, um, through HUD, a status of high-performing community designation. So there's some work around that as well. And then we have street outreach that um, there's five agencies in our community that actually go out and, um, and are um, similar to our HOT team who are out in the community doing outreach 
and um, the COC coordinates that work, um, and Pine Rest was recently identified as the lead agency. And then finally, we have the coordinated entry redesign and um, work being done to use the Community Housing Connect um, platform um, to, to use that for our coordinated entry system and building that out. And then finally, what does the city have to do with all of this, right? So we talked about starting way back in 1994, our role, and um, we've been involved um, since 1994. We continue to be engaged, in particular, at that systems level work. Uh, we have a number, a variety of community development department staff who are actively engaged in um, the Coalition on Homelessness, the Housing Stability Alliance, and all of the community initiatives that were identified. Um, the city invest, um, invests in these, this work as well. Uh, we um, support primarily the housing first approach um, focused on prevention, permanent housing, rapid rehousing, and support services. Um, we also support the systems coordination and infrastructure that's needed um, for the COC to operate. Um, and then since 2020, um, we've supported more than $7 million for housing services and sheltering. That does include um, allocations through the um, um, ARP funds, um, our CDBG, I'm sorry, our CDBG ESG funds. So it's the variety of resources that came into the city. And so that's been our investments since then. Um, and then we also, um, as the city, have been addressing immediate needs. Um, you might, you're familiar with our homeless outreach team and the work that they've been doing that started during the pandemic and has continued. And then we have support from a variety of city departments um, in terms of the cleanliness and health and safety measures um, in the community, um, addressing um, property violations of trespassing, as well as helping support our um, business community related to um, crime prevention through environmental design assessments. And so Ms. Behrens and Mr. Washington both um, commented about our next steps. Um, and so it's intended that we'll have continued discussion through the Public Safety Committee. And um, follow-up presentations are scheduled for January 24th um, that will allow um, some of the um, organizations that we just talked about to provide overview of, our of their current and future work, um, the data and accomplishments to date, um, as well as um, uh, highlighted, uh, develop a community engagement process with our partners this is another step that we're um, looking to engage in that would not only support the system work but support city efforts, um, improve uh, effectiveness and outcomes for, for those within the system while increasing transparency and accountability. And that is it. Thank you. All right, uh, Ms. Behrens, anything to add? And then I'll see if city manager, and then I'll open up for questions. I know Commissioner O'Connor has a question. Thank you, yes. Just to close up, I uh, just want to highlight a couple things. So first, the, the next steps, I uh, just want to emphasize that those are collaborative efforts. <clears throat> so as we um, gave you a, a brief highlight uh, of in today's presentation, no government entity or even combination of government entities owns or is the sole provider of the services that make up this response system. Uh, we do that um, in collaboration with a whole number of passionate and dedicated uh, nonprofit organizations and other entities. And so as we talk about our next steps and as we engage a little bit more transparently and with the public about this, we want to send very clear messaging to our partners that this is not intended to be a new initiative, a separate process, but something we are doing in collaboration to meet some um, specific objectives that the commission has laid out for us, including educating the public about this, that this work is underway. It's been 
sort of a continuous improvement process, if you will, for a number of years um, and, and has been below the radar and we want to try to elevate that conversation and educate folks. Uh, we also, as I talked about at the beginning, want to confirm <coughs> that the initiatives that Ms. Bohatch just detailed out, those improvement initiatives that are underway in a variety of venues, are on the right track, that we, through our investments, are balancing that the right way, that we are balancing our investments in facilities, this systems work, and enforcement um, in the way that needs meets the current needs. And if not, we have a conversation with the commission about how to rebalance that. Um, and that is a unique role for the commission that we want to get out of this process. Um, and then finally, I do want to acknowledge that we uh, are obviously operating within a federal framework that many, many other jurisdictions and um, nonprofit partners operate within. There are jurisdictions that have already done some of this work, are in process of doing some of the same alignment work that we are doing. We are um, provided with examples frequently of cities that seem to have done this very well. Um, and uh, most recently, the Houston model has come forward as something that we should really look at. Um, many cities follow the same approach that we've outlined here in collaboration of investing in and acknowledging that rapid rehousing and avoiding homelessness altogether has really got to be the leading ed edge of the spear. How do we align all of our resources around that? How do we all agree on that? And then align our resources around that objective. And then what enforcement tools might be needed to fill any other um, things that are happening out there in that community. So Houston, for example, um, has done a lot of work around alignment. They also have some different enforcement tools um, after having, I assume, uh, assessed that that was appropriate for that community. And we will continue to evaluate those things and learn from other communities as we go along. Great. Thank you. City Manager and then Commissioner O'Connor. Uh, thank you, Mayor. And as this work is supported moving forward to public safety, I, I just think it's very important to, um, while this is collaborative, it appears to me that this governing body uh, some 20 years ago, 22 years ago, made a conscious decision not to be in pole position A and to defer to this community-oriented uh, model for the continuum, which is aligned with the federal response, but our role changed. And so in 20, as you saw on slide five, it was the city of Grand Rapids that was leading that effort uh, in terms of um, staffing uh, the person. And then it, it became consciously done by some persons on this body to say, no, now we're going to make this community-oriented. But it seems the accountability uh, for this issue, uh, whenever it uh, surfaces, surfaces flatly, solely at uh, the dais of the city commission. And so I think for the public safety component, and I'm, <clears throat> I'm interested to hear thoughts, it's clear that uh, the police department, fire department, and other city services are primarily responsible for public safety in our community. But there are other components of this issue, such as public health, and many other communities have looked at this as a public health issue. And the city of Houston and others throughout the country have involved their public health departments and authorities in this conversation, health providers, uh, in addition to the housing services, community services. And so I think if we're going to talk about accountability, we have to evaluate uh, how we have the governance of this system set up. And if the decision that was made 22 years ago with all the bolt-on improvements, even with housing stability lines and housing can't, if that's what we want to do, then 
the new bolt-on with the housing can't effort has to have time to work. Otherwise, we have to almost break it to fix it all over again and really set, set it back up differently. The other point I'd like to make is on slide number seven, um, which is, uh, shows that uh, different problems. The bottom bar shows that the unsheltered count, the people that are on the streets at night, not in shelter. Point in time count, I think it's the best data that we have at this point. Uh, is about the same from 2018 to 2022, from 48 people to 51. That's at night. But what has changed is the daytime population. And if you look at 723 total people with emergency shelter transition housing and unsheltered in 2018 to 1,044 in 2022, that's over 300 more people during the day that are put out of shelters at night, and where do they go? They become more visible. Um, and, and so are we solving? So we have to ask ourselves, what, 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 are, we, what are we solving for? Um, and I think there are a couple things. It's the behaviors of people, but it's also where do people go when there's nowhere else to go during the daytime? And we try to activate parks and places, but even that becomes another conversation as more ac activation occurs around city parks and redevelopment. So it, it leads to another conversation. And then lastly, um, I would ask on slide number 13, uh, we've, we spent a lot of time on this dais talking about the outreach efforts of the homeless outreach team which I think uh, we have stepped in that space. I uh, want to thank police and fire and um, um, partners from Kent County, Network 180, for helping us do that. But there are other people that have been in this space. And I think better understanding the work that they are doing is in, in how, you know, we've talked about how intentional we are doing it. We have two shifts of people doing this. Uh, I'd be interested to know that work of uh, the newly identified work that Primaris is leading now and who has led it before and what are those outcomes, those metrics and accountability. And so all of these discussions, I think, happen in different places. I am very hopeful that we can start having them publicly and uh, the best venue that we have at this point within this body, given the concerns as, as, I, as I see at the Public Safety Committee and our diocese as a whole. Thank you, City Manager. I think you hit on some of the things I, I uh, wanted to talk about as well. Um, your point about needing the county around this table in discussion is key. If you look at other communities that have been more successful, uh, the county, including the mental health services and public health services, are more actively engaged. I think that's an excellent point. Um, as well as your point about looking at the system. This isn't, this isn't the first time that we've had this conversation about our current system not being effective. Every single one of us who served around this table a number of years ago received a letter talking about how the current system isn't working, which led to the Housing Stability Alliance work, which led to a backbone. Uh, and, and so to me, we really need to take a close look at the current system, how it's structured, and identify where we need to make improvements. So we can talk more about that. I have some concrete questions, but first I'll turn over to uh, Commissioner O'Connor. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you for this information. I think there's some there's some interesting data in here. It's um, trying to unpack some of the stuff just as we 
go through the presentation here. I have a few questions and I'll, I guess I'll start with, you know, outside of the one slide where it shows 36 of the 51 persons were uh, unsheltered were in the city of Grand Rapids. This is all county level data, right? So I think that certainly leads to the conversation that this is a regional problem and, you know, Grand Rapids is certainly at the front of that spear all the time with a lot of these issues, not just not just this issue, but a lot of issues that this seems the, the burden uh, and ultimately I think some, some of the responsibility falls on us, but it's not just us. Um, where would you say, you know, as you look at both transitional housing opportunities and emergency shelter opportunities, where are the majority of those uh, those housing solutions located? Are they all in the city of Grand Rapids for the most part? Uh, are, are we the only municipality that's that's you know venturing not, into we're that not space? The only, right? But we're primarily yes. Well, give me. I mean, I'm not going to hold you to this, but give me a number: ninety percent, one hundred percent, ninety-five percent. Do you want to? Courtney well, actually is here from the yeah. COC. Would I mean, you, I'm just I'm just really curious think, again, like uh, if 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 I'd, I'd say it. At least Why don't you just give us a ballpark? <laughs> yeah, I'm just. We I'm don't, not, we, I'd say at least ninety percent. Okay, that, that's, that's fair. That, that's that's fair. That's I just I think that's just an important note that needs to be out in the world that you know there's a, there's a this is a regional problem, but ninety percent of the the you know believe solution lies within the city of Grand Rapids. I guess then the, another data point I'm trying to unpack here is looking at you know the fifty one people. I think the city manager made the point. You know. Go over five years, it probably averages out somewhere to, in the in the 50 range over the last five years for folks who are unsheltered in the county. Uh, we have bed space based on the, the the data you get. You know, we have 911 available beds for emergency shelter, 858 are occupied. So there's a gap of 53 there. So there's capacity in the system to house every unsheltered person in Kent County based on the data that was provided. Um, so if you then have a look at those 51 in the whole county, like who's Who's the lead agency that's that's targeting and identifying those 51 people to say these are the people that don't sleep in a bed at night? They, like there might be more people on the street during the day, but there's 51 people in Grand Rapids or in Kent County who don't sleep in a bed at night. Who's the agency that's you know? It's really easy to you know. Uh, it's like fishing at the fish ladder, right? It's really easy to but catch fish that, have a, that are at the end of the ladder that have no place to go. But if, if there are people out there that are the difficult people to get into a bed, who's taken lead responsibility to say, I want that person to sleep in a bed tonight? So I would say that is um, the work of the street outreach teams, um, agencies who um, are providing mental health services and other types of supports, health services to individuals, um, working with a very um, difficult chronic population um, and we get reports even from our hot team who go out and actually are doing welfare checks because there are just individuals who are refusing to come into shelter but is there but is there not there's not one specific I can't like I can't look down Division Avenue and say this agency that's got a, that that is the one that's gonna go be the the, the 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 point agency to do that like there's not it's well you know maybe will this this agency will catch a little or this there's not one no. there's not one agency or one organization no. or one governmental entity that says you know what I'm gonna take the responsibility on of finding beds for these 51 people you want to provide a better response? <laughs> it's not that there's not one entity that's responsible for it. We have coordination. The beds are available. The problem that we run into is that some of these individuals have are, are choosing not to go into shelter at times. Yeah. And it is very challenging when they're experiencing mental health issues then, or there are sometimes even choices that they may choose not to go into shelter because of some of the trauma that they've experienced. And so no matter what relationship they have formed with a street outreach person, they are choosing not to go in. And I think that Connie referenced 
the hot team even working with a particular individual that I know of during that coldest nights that we had over, um, actually, I was getting text messages on Christmas and Christmas Eve to make sure that an individual lived because we knew that he was choosing to sleep outside, that there was the relationships are there, the beds are available, but sometimes they are just not going in. So the, we do have people who are, are responsible, like they're saying, you know what, I will be responsible for um, doing a welfare check on this individual and trying to get them into shelter, but that doesn't mean that we can force them into to going in. All right, uh, city manager. I just wanted to follow up to <clears throat> Commissioner O'Connor's question. What I'm hearing him say, it's not why they're not going in, but from a governance and accountability systems perspective, is there a lead agency that is responsible for ensuring the health and welfare of those 51 persons on a uh, predictable basis. So, so, so that that, and it doesn't have to be answered here. But I think that's a good policy question to follow up on. The data that that we we shared was Pine Rest was responsible for the outreach, and I don't know in, in the past who who has been for the outreach team. But I think that's a good question. So they've been to, newly identified as the lead agency for that coordination of multiple agencies in that street outreach response. Right. One follow up to yeah, that. So, so then I think there's one other, you know, when you when you think about the 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 concerns that can continue to be addressed to us with some of the negative perceived behaviors that uh, that are happening in our community with uh, uh, like, and I've I've got enough anecdotal evidence maybe from some of the folks that that you know are our hot team and folks that are in the out, out dealing with it, our service mm -hmm. rush are dealing with. Like, we know that there are a, again a group of people whether they're unsheltered or not, but who are the chronic uh, folks that are causing issue in, in certain places. And like, again, creating some sort of accountability as to who is going to like, if there are 10 people we know have chronic mental illness who who don't want to be in a shelter because of whatever uh, uh, whatever wrongs have happened in, the, in that place, like, how do, how do we create a better system that says, you know what, like, we need a very intensive, very significant wraparound services for mental health, from housing, from all the other things that are, that are necessary, to like, but it feels like there's not anyone that's just, like, owning that space to take on that responsibility. And again, that's probably, like, it's probably really, I don't want to say easy, but it's, it's easier to take a, a family who, you know, couldn't afford their rent this month and get them to an emergency shelter than it is to deal with someone who's got chronic mental illness that continues to be, uh, that, that doesn't want to, that wants to fight the system. So I don't expect you to answer that question right now, but it's just like that to me feels like that's where one of the big missing pieces that, uh, that we need to, to identify exists. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think you make a good point, even looking at some of the data shared, a lot of it is outputs. Um, but where is the, the data on outcomes? Like how long are people in shelter? How quickly are they getting into stable housing? Who is doing the direct outreach? Where are the individuals um, going? Do we have enough permanent supportive housing for individuals that need that? And so I think there's a much deeper dive that we need to go into when we look at data that is truly connected to outcomes uh, and, and who has those best outcomes. Uh, I'll go Commissioner Isasi, Commissioner Moody, and then Commissioner Purdue. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you, Mayor. Um, thank you all for the presentation. And I think there were some things that I was aware of and other things that I wasn't. Um, I did want to, I do have uh, some specific questions about like who will be at the 24th meeting because I think to what Commissioner O'Connor was bringing up is it's almost like what are some of the questions of the preparation that so that we can make it the most beneficial to all of us on this body and to the to the service providers um, but I did want to 
um, pull out a couple of things from the city side. One, it would be helpful to understand some of our 311 data that calls that we get into where individuals, they might not be calling a 211, they might not be going through the continuum of care, maybe they're reaching out to us. So if we could overlay some of that information. Um, I always am a big fan of us using our data and what are people calling for or you know what that might look like. So I know Angela can help us with that. Um, and then also I just, I wanted to, to call out um, uh, Miss Tammy Vincent, who is here in the audience in the back row, and um, because I know, especially with our new colleagues, Tammy has been especially helpful as we receive calls into three one one as people ask questions of us. Um, again, it's not that, as city manager said, it's not that we are providing that, but it's that coordination and connection, sharing pieces about the hot team, sharing pieces. If this is an emergency, this is what you should do. So there has been some really good content that I think has come out. Um, at least I could just speak, I, don't, I, I can't remember how long we've been doing that, but at least during my time as a city commissioner, I think that's been really helpful. So if the new commissioners haven't been briefed on some of that information, and I'm sure all of you will help to, to make that happen. Um, but I know we've had some, some frequent flyer calls and um, Ms. Vincent has always been really helpful in that regard. Um, and so my so that's just two comments. And then my questions about on the 24th, I am interested to know who will be coming um, because as city manager brought up, there are these pieces when we talk about shelter, it really is what's happening in the day. So I think about our public library system, you know, obviously we've heard from businesses, some, some different neighborhood association groups and things like that. Um, you know, will we be in the future hearing from our court system? I, I, I think so. And I hope so because of this holistic approach, which I want to say, I know there's, we're not voting on anything today, but I'm very supportive of that approach because, of everything that was just laid out in this last presentation. I would also be interested to understand, and it was mentioned a little bit with the previous name of um, the Family Independence Agency, but what we now know as the Department of Health and Human Services for the state of Michigan, um, you know, many different entities have an, um, a DHS caseworker that is supporting them. I think I just read that um, GRCC has um, engaged with an individual. And so while it is a regional issue, I think we should also be bringing in some of those other state resources because, you know, I, we have a new legislature. We, we have a number of things that are happening. And just from my past work experience, I think there are just so many people who fall into that, that cliff effect and who could potentially be prevented but are not. And then... Um, lastly, whoever might be coming, maybe it's the um, the HSA, um, the Housing Stability Alliance, or Housing Kent, but to continue to put a focus on the racialized outcomes of what is happening um, for those who are experiencing homelessness, as I think is absolutely key. I think this is that has been a priority of um, city. Uh, all city services to understand who is impacted, but I think we need to continue to put that front and center to understand even from. Courtney, you were here last year. I can't remember when you came and did the presentation, and we had a little bit more of that. Um, but that's something that I'm particularly interested, and in, also interested in understanding how some of these agent, how some of these newer organizations um, have done some of the community engagement work, because I think that also could be beneficial to some of the other community engagement pieces that we know we hope to to beef up and invest in. So not really anything that I expect answered at this moment, <laughs> more of like some general thoughts and what I hope to see as part of this holistic conversation as we move forward. Thank you. Yeah, Thank thanks you. Commissioner. And I, I think too, that page 13, um, 
I know some of us have been have been actively engaged with Fuse and Built for Zero and Family Functional Zero, but this entire body should get updated on all of those different efforts, as well as who is the lead, what is their target, and uh, and the outcomes and how those are are being measured. Uh, and uh, Commissioner Moody, Commissioner O'Connor, did you have a follow up? And then just, I'll just a question. quick, and I think it was just it, the need for more data is. Looking at you know 51 people who are unsheltered, you know the, the if I'm thinking about this in sort of tiers, like the, the tier for them is they just need to get into emergency shelter first so that they're not unsheltered. Um, so what is the and then from you know people who are in emergency shelter, then they're, they're probably going to tier up to some sort of transitional housing, and, and if you're in transitional housing, you want to tier up to permanent housing. But like where the counts are for those various types in terms of what is the capacity and what number of you know like. I, People are at different stages all the time, but where where will people tear up, and where's where do those real gaps exist? If if I have X number of emergency shelter beds, but I, I know that I, I I need people can't transition from one tier to the next. That's like that's the most. I think that's again. I think then is you know our role as policymakers. I'm not solving the problem in terms of like I'm not going to go. I, Grand Rapids isn't going to build those units, but are there limitations in in terms of zoning policy or uh, you know? Ways in which we're partnering with different organizations to help create those different tiers. Um, I think that's just that's the stuff. That's the information I need as a policymaker to be able to figure out how to best insert ourselves into that conversation to know where we where we need to be pushing and where the where the obstacles exist that we need to remove so that people can so that these things can be created. And what we should and shouldn't fund. Absolutely, I think that's an important question. And we shouldn't fund things that aren't working. Uh, Commissioner Moody. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Thank you for this report. Um, I just I. And echoing back off what Commissioner O'Connor has said and, and City Manager, I just want to ask a question in reference to um, slide five. You talk about local response. Um, we have a number of nonprofit organizations in the city that deal with homelessness and that does sheltering for food and clothing. And my concern is that they receive a lot of money from government and from nonprofit organizations and other fiduciary groups. My concern is that when a fiduciary transfer their title to another company, for in Myers, not Myers, for example, you have on here a Salvation Army served as a fiduciary for a while, and then they transferred over to Heart of West Michigan. What happens to the policies? Are those policies the same, or do those policies change each time there's a different fiduciary? Uh, so the COC um, is, governance structure requires the policies be in place. Um, sort of outline is, is how the federal government requires the COC to operate. Um, those policies then are adopted by the membership of the COC, which is comprised, I think at this time, of over 60 agencies in our community is the actual membership, including um, representatives from the city of Grand Rapids, um, city of Wyoming, and Kent County in terms of governmental structures. Um, but it's a variety of nonprofits, and in some cases, um, I believe some even um, uh, health and um, institutions and, and business institutions. So we get a report on what they're doing financially or not? Uh, currently, you don't get a report on what they're doing financially. Um, I'm, if you would like to have some more specific direction for me, we can provide, we can get that yeah, information yes. for you. Yes, what I would like to see happen is I would like to know what are they actually doing financially within the community of homelessness or within the community of giving shelter? Uh, I, I would like to see that more so, so that I can get a clear understanding as to what their roles really are. 
And then secondly, uh, we um, on slide 13 where it says improving systems response, uh, we talk about the uh, street outreach where Pine Rest has been newly identified as a lead agency. Uh, when I hear the word lead agency, does that mean that Pine Rest is going to put people out on the streets to check on people, to look in terms of who has uh, uh, a mental problem? So currently there's five agencies, including Pine Rust, um, I believe five, who do this work currently. Uh, so Network 180, um, Pine Rust, and I know that um, Arbor Circle, um, Mel Trotter has outreach teams. So there's a variety of, of, of entities that do that work and they actually physically go out just like our hot team does, goes out. Some of them are connecting specifically with their clients. Um, so Pine Rest, for example, who might have um, clients who are seeking their, who use their services, they're going out to um, engage with them, connect with them, make sure that they're, you know, on track. And in some cases, you know, there's a requirement, they, there's medications that are needed and, and these teams are able to make sure that um, folks are continuing to get medications and access to resources um, to continue to help support them. And again, part of that role is to try to help get them out of the situation of living unhoused. Now, thank you. The reason why I ask that question is because I want those agencies to be a, in partner with the city of Grand Rapids, but I don't want those agencies to feel like uh, the city commission has to be the sole responsible person for homelessness and for individuals who are in need of, of uh, some mental care. Um, uh, and I just felt at this point in time that, you know, those agencies should step up now and assist us. I don't want the hot team to feel like they're the only ones out there that's doing something. I think that Pine Rest, uh, Arbor Circle, Never 180, need to show more of a face in terms of helping us deal with this issue. So I, I would say so the city has not... Um been in the realm of healthcare, and that is the realm of healthcare. Right. And these agencies have been operating and doing street outreach long before our hot team. Um, our hot team came on during the pandemic for really different reasons and has evolved as the issues in our community have um, evolved and increased. So, um, and continuing to provide support. But those organizations have been in our community for a very long time. They have provided this type of street outreach um, activities for a number number of years and I appreciate that is there any way that that can continue to be communicated to the city so that people can be aware of what's taking place so I, I think in terms of upcoming presentations, again, these are, you're bringing up a lot of really good points, a lot of good um, um, uh, questions that we can then use to help target the presentations that are coming forward um, sort of in the next next round of presentations. Yep. So just a short answer, Commissioner. I think I hear your question, and I will take that as uh, inquiry and direction to make sure that we are able to be responsive in future presentations. Yeah, and I, I do think, uh, Connie, I do think it would be helpful for all of us in the community to have a better sense of all of the services in the community. Like, who is providing what? What is the budget? I know we are spending in this community as a whole, countywide, tens of millions of dollars um, on uh, issues related to housing and homelessness. You know, and I know we could we could each go to each nonprofit and look at their 990, but it would be nice to have a sense of 
the, the different agencies, who's doing what, what they're responsible for, what, is, what are the revenues and expenditures, what are the outcomes, how many individuals are they serving. Uh, to, to give, you know, as we talk about the system, we need to understand the system a whole lot better and also recognize where those gaps are. Some of us have been a part of those conversations for years, but I think really giving us an opportunity to have all that information as we look at how we can um, address the, the concerns that we're currently experiencing. So, uh, Commissioner Purdue. Yes, good morning. Um, so kind of in that same vein, really appreciate the information, the historical kind of roadmap. Um, some questions that, that came up for me as we think about upcoming presentations. Um, so we heard that for those who are unhoused, there's not always a willingness or desire to go to a shelter for a variety of reasons. I'm curious if we have a sense, of, is that one or two people out of that 52? Is it all 52? Uh, kind of how we slice and dice that um, in terms of folks who want to uh, have shelter for the night and who don't have access. Um, so that's one question. Another um, inquiry is around, so we know that we have a few different shelter options, right? Um, what might be some gaps in access and eligibility, whether that's hours, whether that's, um, you know, standing with, a, you know, a, a thing here, a thing there, right? So what sort of eligibility is there requirements for people to access families, right? We saw that nearly 40% of those who um, are experiencing homelessness are families. So are there enough options for kind of these different sort of family types? Um, so gaps in our current system, are, are there really clear kind of glaring um, things that really present opportunities? Another one, so when you when you brought us through the history, you showed, I think probably since at least, I think it was either 2000, 2010, um, several strategic plans around housing. Really curious to know what in those plans have kind of carried on from one plan to another. What have we accomplished? What was on a plan that is sort of evergreen and that is still relevant today, 10 plus years later, that maybe we haven't had action on? And, and what are the opportunities for us to take action on that? So, a lot of times, a lot of work and resources goes into creating those strategic plans. Are we actually embedding that into our operations, and what can we learn um, from kind of doing that review? And then the final one, um, kind of building on Commissioner O'Connor's point, uh, we know that roles and responsibilities, right, are really key. So as I think about the role of the city, when we think about what are some potential solutions, where can our role, where, what role can we play really explicitly? So whether that's the zoning piece, whether that's leveraging dollars, whether that's re leveraging relationships or awareness, um, what can we as this body discuss and take specific action on? So those are some kind of big picture questions and thoughts, I think, to help ground us in our upcoming conversations that I would like to hear more. Thank you, Commissioner. Thank you. Very good questions. Uh, anyone down here before I close this and we go into executive session? Yeah, I do have one quick question, Mayor. Um, I think an important point was raised about the city carrying kind of an unproportionate, um, you know, weight of this burden in, in addressing this issue. I guess what kind of conversations are there existing or how can we initiate more of those to better engage the rest of the county to kind of spread that proportionally across the other municipalities and, and people who can play a role in solving this? I, I actually, I think the mayor and the city manager is probably more um, able to answer that because I know that they've been engaged in significant conversations. Um, but if you look historically, um, a lot of the services have been based in the city of Grand Rapids. And so that's also, I think, why we sort of 
carry that the burden <laughs> or um, are intended to or the, the perception that it's our issue because a lot of services are here a lot of individuals come here for those services um, that is changing in the landscape as well but I think um, the mayor and the city manager have been engaged in um, many conversations about that yeah, and, and I'll add, uh, and, and this can be, I think, added to our next conversation. Um, so the city of Wyoming, city of Grand Rapids, and the county are actively engaged in the COC. Uh, so you have some cooperation there. Uh, part of the Housing Stability Alliance, uh, I actually co-chaired that with the former chair of the county commission, recognizing the need to have city-county partnership in this work. Uh, and then currently on the Housing Kent Board, um, the county director executive uh, serves on the board of directors, as does our city manager and myself. So I think you're seeing some of that, but ultimately uh, we need to get beyond the, the planning and really look at execution, look at... Uh, there's a number of things that came out of the Housing Stability Alliance and even that we're focusing on right now with Housing Kent, and, and a, a big piece to me of the solution is making sure that we have better data, shared data, shared metrics, real-time data, where are we today? We should be able to, all of us, be able to access this information a whole lot easier than we can. We need to have more transparency around what are the current services, what, what's working, where are the gaps. Uh, so part of the goal of the Housing Stability Alliance and Housing Kent is to really look at that shared metric. We talked a little bit about that uh, a few months ago when we had a presentation looking at uh, coordinated entry, the Community Housing Connect uh, system, how do we get more of the agencies that are providing the services, putting good data into that. Even right now for HMIS, not every agency in the city puts data into HMIS. It's a requirement if you get federal funding. If you don't get federal funding, you don't have to put in data. So there's even, even with our current data, about access to shelter beds, we don't even have that information in real time because we don't have all agencies inputting into that system. So to me, part of the solution, and this is both at the city level and the county level, if we're gonna make good decisions about where resources need to go, we need to have better, reliable, real-time data to make decisions on. So that's been a big part of the conversation as well around the Housing Camp Board. And then I know City Manager and I, we meet regularly with county leadership. Now there's a whole host of, of issues that we talk about when we have those conversations, and this is one of them. But city manager, you want to add to that? Well, I'll, I'll um, echo um, what you said or agree with what you said in, in many respects. But I think when it comes to multiple agency, at least governmental public policy, I think our actions have translated into policy, translated into uh, operational changes have translated into funding prioritization, ARPA prioritization. And I think the same thing could be said in some respects with the county. But I think there's an opportunity to elevate that discussion even more uh, to not just the executive, county executive or county chair, but to uh, engage more of uh, the board holistically since uh, this is a regional issue. Now, granted, it affects some cities more than others. So some um, cities, some townships and, and other uh, com county commissioners may not be as um, invested in the direct outcome, but I think there's an opportunity to make it uh, more robust and more public because I think a lot of that good work has been happening, but for it's just not a lot of transparency around what is really being done and who's responsible for doing it. It is very, very complicated.
Yeah, and and I, I think if you look at other cities that have had, in my opinion, significant positive impact based on the work that they do, it really is a collaborative approach that has city, cities, county, leaders from the business community, philanthropic community, and service providers. Uh, and I think there's a huge opportunity right now for us to rethink that collaboration to make sure that we have more of a cross-sector, multi-jurisdictional approach. Uh, and then, as the city manager said, really looking at how do we all align around shared outcomes and work towards that. So. More conversation, looks like we need um, some more information based on what you heard today as we continue this conversation and identify solutions. Uh, and then we can always follow up, obviously, with uh, Connie Bohatcher or Ms. Kate Behrens uh, with additional questions so that we can be prepared for our next conversation. Yeah, so thank you very much. I appreciate it. Um, lots of good insight, lots of good questions. And if you do have more, please get them to me so that we can make sure that they get answered in those presentations. Yeah, Thanks. thank you. All right, so thank you for that. Um, commissioners, we're gonna quickly uh, jump in front here and get a group picture, and then we're gonna go directly down to the library, uh, law library, so that we can uh, have an update on two legal issues.